the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a Monday. New week. See what we can come up with. What what kind of problems can I make this week? Try to do something. Well, I know. Let's have Darren Waddles on here in the first hour and have him tell you what's going up in Stone County. We're going to be the first station uh, that has uh, covered this uh, story. I think you should know about it. It's important that you know about it. Uh, we'll change things up just a little bit for this current Monday. Typically, uh, in the 3 o'clock hour, uh, we just talk topics. And then in the 4 o'clock hour, Conduit for Action joins us. And in the 5 o'clock hour, Robert Steinbach. Well, Robert will be with us in the 3 o'clock hour, Conduit for Action in the 4 o'clock hour, 5 o'clock hour. Uh, we're going to have some folks in from Horton's uh, Prosthetics uh, and orthotics. So we're going to be talking uh, to them today as well. So the whole free speech discussion will be happening uh, in three o'clock hour today. It's all, of course, on Facebook Live. We do Facebook Live every day. Uh, if you go to facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick show, lo and behold, there I am in all of my supposed glory. <laughs> and uh, also Darren Waddle will be here today. And We've got the uh, the the bunny from the the the, the uh, book, uh, you know, the Trump book about uh, the rabbit running for a president that has been a runaway bestseller and done by uh, a local uh, artist, uh, Tim Lim, who has done a great job with this. And uh, do we have it? Can we put that up again? There he is. There he is. He's here in the studio making his first of many appearances, just so you'll know. You'll be part of it, uh, of the Dave Ellswick show from now on. All right, Darren, let's 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 get it underway with you. Let's get back to the serious stuff mm-hmm. uh, that we, we talk about from time to time on this show. <laughs> anyway, uh, tell us what's going on in, in Stone County because there's, there's some interesting things that are happening. Now, uh, so you'll know, Darren, if you remember, the last time that we had him on, uh, was, uh, like, uh, the, what the Republican college or the college Republican? Yeah, I was the, uh, state chairman of the Arkansas Federation of college Republicans. Uh, okay. that was, that was, that's been a little bit ago, but, uh, how long has that been? Uh, two uh, years? Uh, it's Three? Been, yeah, it's been about two years. Okay. Yeah. So that's about, I mean, the last time you were on, we were talking about CPAC last year, I think. Yes, we were on CPAC. In fact, uh, we were on the air with the uh, current uh, state chairman, That's uh, right. Seth Mays. He came in and sat down with us. So you're sitting here today, and uh, you're now living the real life, so to speak. Oh, you're, yeah. You're not, you're not on college campus anymore. Yeah, I'm an alumni. Yeah, so. there you go. For UALR, uh, terrible basketball season this year. Coach is gone. <laughs> By the way, let me talk, let me get Zach in here, who's uh, producing the show. Zach, what's up? Th- that that basketball coach got an early exit, did he not? Yeah, he did. And I it mean, was how many years has he been? Third year? Was this his third year? No, this was just his second year. His second year. Mm-hmm. Well, they had a, they had a pathetic season, and I had a front row seat to it. 
Yeah, you did. Mm -hmm. You were sitting there at the scorer's table every yeah. night. Mm -hmm. It was not good. <laughs> and it was not a good end to the season either. Right. But you know which team really had a bad ending to their season? Who? ASU. What happened? Didn't they? I thought they got their, their heads handed to them in the, in the tournament. Okay. They got, they got blown out. <laughs> so let's see how long that coach sticks around. Right. You know, although they got, they had gotten used to mediocrity because of what's his name from LSU was there for how many years? I know you're talking about, I can't think of his he name. He was there right for all, all that time and mm -hmm. they paid him a bunch of money and mm -hmm. he never, never brought that team around. Because he went to a Final Four with LSU. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let me say LSU, ASU. Which one do you think that the ball players will want to talk about? LSU or ASU? <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Georgia Georgia Southern had a pretty good year with Sun Belt. That was interesting. They played well. Didn't they win and end up going to dance? I am not sure. I have to look that up. I don't keep up with it, the Sun Belt, besides the UALR. Really? Mm-hmm. Go Trojans. Wow. Go Tro exactly. Go Trojans. Amazing. Okay. Right, I thought you'd like have your finger on the pulse of the Sun Belt. Mm -mm. Are they going to have a football team next year? The Trojans? Yes. No. I mean, they're talking about it. They can talk about for as many years as they want. You know, we yeah. were talking about this three years ago. Matter of fact. Yeah, they were. They just three years ago. Because you got a lot. You got to find a lot of money to make it happen. Right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. But they can play at War Memorial if they want to. Where's the money? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So. You keep your eye real close on the Trojans. So what names are you, are you hearing as far as coaches go that might be coming in? Well, I mean, if they just got fired on Friday, to tell you the truth, I am not sure if they have any names right now. Oh, surely I mean, they had some ideas. I, I, yeah, but, you know, I haven't heard anything really, to tell you the truth. Did I, I thought I heard a rumor that Bobby Knight might be coming. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, the SJWs would love it, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough on basketball. Yeah. Although it is that time of year. Yeah, it you know, is. It is that time of year. There were some great games yesterday uh, to watch. It was a lot of fun. That Rhode Island game was unbelievable that they lost that game. They should never have lost that game. And who was it that I saw at the very end? Uh, it might have been Rhode Island. Um, that the guy went breaking up the sidelines. They had five seconds left. The dude goes to pass it to him, and the dude was running so fast up the court, the guy had to pass it to him, threw it behind him and out of bounds mm. and, and gave the game away, basically, mm. at that point. Sucks. I forget. Yeah. It, you could see it on the guy who made the pass. He was like, did I just do that? <laughs> did, I decide, did I just call a fifth timeout? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, let's uh, talk to Darren about this. Okay, so now you are the chairman of the Stone County Republican Party. I am. All right. How did you get? Did you get drafted into that, or did you did you volunteer to take that job? Well, uh, with the uh, chairmanship position, uh, it is indeed something. It's a volunteer job, pretty much. Uh, but I did uh, run for the position. Um, it was pretty much directly right after uh, my resignation as uh, the uh, st uh, state chairman of the Arkansas Federation of College Republicans. Uh -huh. 
and a couple of people in my uh, county committee, because I've been a member there since 2011, they saw what I did as uh, state chairman, uh, and you know they they've watched me from high school, from my graduation in college, and uh, they approached me and won me to uh, to uh, run for this position, and I had pretty good support. I ran and I won, um, and uh, since uh, last uh, January, I've been the uh, uh, county chairman there, and just kind of changing things here and there, kind of updating the party for Stone County. And uh, we're seeing a good change um, right now. At this point, it's a it's a very blue county uh, from is, is the county really? level down. Yes, very blue. We How hit- did that happen up in the north? <laughs> well, no, wait a second. Let me rephrase that. How did that happen in north Arkansas? Yeah, north Arkansas, yeah. Uh, uh, compared to our neighbors, uh, for instance, to our south, we have uh, Cleburne County, very red county. Yeah. Uh, to our north, you have uh, the mecca of the Republican politics of the Ozarks and Baxter County, a very, very red county. But uh, Stone County has remained blue uh, for now. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to change that. And uh, on the topic that we're about to be talking about, you, you kind of, you know, ahead of time what, what yeah. we're trying to do. So, do you think that perhaps that could be? that you have so many farmers in your county? Uh, we do have a lot of farmers, but uh, the way the ide- ideology goes. Now, Trump won Stone County 73% of the vote. Uh, hands down, won Stone County. So it just hasn't it hasn't sunk in yet that Arkansas is a red state. Oh, it, it, it sunk in. It's for, just the county level. the national. For the national... The state we have, uh, we we reelected uh, Senator Irvin. In fact, Senator Irvin's running uh, again. She's running unopposed this year. Uh, and she's um, not running. Well, well yeah, saying. yeah, yeah. Well, she doesn't have to campaign. Yeah, she doesn't have to campaign. Which I mean, that's great for me that yeah. I don't have to focus on a state level thing. Uh, both of our representatives, thank God too, that uh, we don't have a a general election to look at uh, for uh, uh, representative. Uh, John Payton and Representative Michelle Gray, all three of them great Republicans. And Stone County, in fact, if it wasn't for Stone County, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have won their uh, their first elections. We pushed them right over the edge where it seemed kind of bleak because of the Democrats, and we pushed them right over the edge. But at the county level down, there's a uh, little rumor that goes on that you can't be a Republican and win. So there's a mentality. Even though we're seeing Republicans winning seventy percent plus, mm-hmm. uh, for some reason I don't know uh, that uh, we, the the way it goes is that my daddy was a Democrat, my grandpa was a Democrat, okay. so therefore I'm running as a Democrat. All right, it, but we're we're slowly but surely we're knocking at that door. They're yellow dog Democrats, is what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you could run a yellow dog and they'd vote for them for you know mm-hmm. Democrat. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll come back. We're going to talk more about this because there's an interesting story going on in Stone County in whatever county you happen uh, to be watching this show. And you can be watching in any of the counties because now we're on Facebook Live. Mm-hmm. It's facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, you can see what my guests look like. And then you see me one time, you go, well, I don't want to see that anymore. Uh, take that camera off of you, Ellswick, and put it on somebody else. But the bottom line is, um, you might want to keep an eye out in areas that it's, you know, more heavily blue 
that this is not happening in your county. We'll tell you what it is when we come back. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. It's a Monday. Uh, Darren Waddles is with us. Darren's been uh, a friend of the show for a while. So uh, he'll he'll be back here in, after the break, and we'll continue talking about what's going on in Stone County. 22 minutes after 2 on a Monday on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Robert Steinbach coming up in the next hour. We'll be uh, talking to him uh, about uh, freedom of speech, different kinds of stories uh, popping up all over the place uh, on our college campuses. Of course, uh, Darren can talk about even that because he just got out of college just here recently, mm-hmm. and he can talk about. In fact, I think that's the first time I had you on. That's kind of the topic we talked about, safe spaces and all yes. of that. I, I am working on getting a piece of legislation that a, a legislator is running in Minnesota that I'm going to get somebody to carry here uh, in the 2019 general um, uh, uh, session mm-hmm. uh, that makes it illegal to in any way curtail the First Amendment on a college campus. Good. It needs to be done. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. You know, it, that hurts my heart that we've got to pass laws to enforce the Constitution of the United States. Mm-hmm. And you know that the university, I mean, that was supposed to be the mecca of where your voice is supposed to develop. Yeah. And that's supposed to be, I mean, the university, I mean, I, I, I don't want to refer to it as a safe place, but mm-hmm. that was the sanctuary of the First Amendment. You know, that's that's where you learn to bring up your voice. Yeah. And now, now it's, you have to speak a certain way. You have to think a certain way or, you know, you got to become part of the echo chamber. Yes. Yeah. It, it used to be iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm. Now it's only iron bashes your head in. Yes. <laughs> Literally. You get away Literally. from, you get away from what they want you uh, to talk about. All right. Let's go back to stone County here. First of all, you wanted to say something about the uh, high school girls basketball yes team. sir uh i just wanted to give a little shout out to our uh lady uh yellow jackets up in mountain view y'all played a very good game i uh all, i know everyone's very proud of y'all and uh uh i know next season you can do even a, a greater job so keep looking up keep moving forward yes keep moving right. forward now what is going on with the democrats in uh, stone county Goodness gracious! How long is this show? Okay, uh, <laughs> you, we got the hour, so yeah, you know, be be as specific as you possibly can. Indeed. Okay, so uh, what's going on in Stone County? Well, I'll 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 begin by saying that, uh, uh, you know, I, I I didn't really know nothing was going on until during the filing period uh, this uh, in the last few weeks uh, on February 22nd uh, we started filing our candidates for office right uh, on the county level uh, you know it's just procedural work nothing out of the ordinary so it lasted from the 22nd of February to March the 1st both noon to noon and uh, on uh, uh, the Monday um, well, excuse me, on a Wednesday, the day before, so that would have been the 21st, uh, my candidate for coroner, uh, Joseph Blake, he, uh, he, he called me up and told me that he saw something in the paper. And uh, uh, he told me that the Democrats had lowered their filing fees to $20. And that kind of caught me off guard because for, for over a, way over a decade, the filing fee has been as high as $1,500. Okay. And uh, so uh, that was a bit of a concern. And uh, something I noticed in the paper, and this is 
what got me in arms right off the bat was the process that the new Democratic chairman, Michael Farrar, was uh, conducting business. And uh, that was that he said that in order for you to be on the Democratic ballot, you've got to do X, Y, and Z for me. Okay, and what were those X, Ys, and Zs? Well, uh, the X, Y, and Zs was that, one, you had to be a registered Democrat. Okay. Two, you had to, in addition to filing, you had to file for their committee, uh, their Democratic Party of uh, Stone County, and uh, then he would then consider putting you on the ballot. Now, if you did not do X, Y, and Z, he turned you away. And uh, I saw with my own eyes one candidate of theirs that was running for JP, uh, he, he, he was very frustrated. Now, uh, he did comply, but he did say, and he said very loudly, uh, I've been a JP here in Stone County for over 13 years, and this is the first time I've ever had to do anything like this. Okay, so they, you literally have to sign a, uh, a pledge note, basically. I pledge to do this. I pledge mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the national level, this has been going on for mm-hmm. some time. I, I'm sure you're aware of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, within the, the state of Arkansas, we're talking about complying with Arkansas law. Okay. And uh, we, pledges, that's one thing. But when you're forcing someone to join a committee or do this for me in order to be on the ballot, that's against state law. And the way the law, uh, in fact, if, let me pull that up real quick, but as I'm talking to you, I'll, I'll uh, tell you about uh, the uh, to be a qualified elector. So what you're what you're saying is that if you are going to be part of this committee, do you have to pay X amount of dollars to as well to become part of the committee or whatever? Uh, and that yeah, that's pretty much uh, how he he was so running business. He's, he's kind of extorting money from people. Yes, in order to get on the ballot. Okay. Uh, so uh, so you to qualify, you just have to be 18 years old, and if there's a certain rule that governs a certain position, you have to be that age to run for that position. Uh, and if you live in that region for that particular thing and you're a registered voter you are, and you're not a felon, you are a qualified elector. Okay. So uh, the way the Constitution of the State of Arkansas, Section 7, 7, 201, Part 4, states, Each political party shall be responsible for determining the qualifications of a candidate seeking nomination by the political party. Uh, provide necessary applications for the candidacy. Okay, we're good so far. Accept and process, and I emphasize accept and process the applications and determine the order of its ballots. Now, state law prohibits us from denying anyone, so that's Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, anyone that's going to set up a booth at your county courthouse okay. uh, from turning someone away. doesn't matter what what you are, what you believe in, what your gender is, what your identification, I don't care, that by law, if you come up and you have the filing fee, I put your name on the list. And you're going to be on the ballot come uh, the primary or November for that particular party. All right. Now, he wasn't complying to that, so I called him out on it. I, I made it public, and I, I, I was pretty loud and obnoxious about it for a couple of days. And he, for every day, he called me, and he was mad, and uh, uh, he... Uh, we tried to have a civil conversation about what was going on. And uh, on Saturday, we had a nice long discussion, which that would have been, I think, the uh, 24th. Uh, and uh, finally, I think it finally sunk in that maybe this uh, 24-year-old chairman of the Republican Nobody was Party. was talking about. 
Yeah, knew what he was talking about. So he, right. keep you keep your thoughts to yourself. Okay, we'll come come back oh, okay. and we'll uh, talk <laughs> further. Got to get to uh, Todd Starnes, who's coming up right now. All right, back with you. Can't you know? You just want to hand them their card. You know what I'm saying when they, <laughs> when they call in and say things like that. Uh, Two thirty six. It's Dave Ellswick show. Uh, of course, ninety six five FM. The answer on radio. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick Show, and we Facebook Live every day. All four hours of the show, we've got it set up uh, in here with 4K cameras in the studio. You can see some of the cool things that we got set up in the uh, uh, the studio, and you can see some of the posters and cutouts and all kinds of stuff. Darren's been very, very positive about this look. Oh, yeah. It's it's new and improved. I love it. <laughs> it's going to get better. We got got Wonder Woman coming pretty soon. Got a huge. You're going to like this one, Zach. I got a, a huge Alicia uh, Vandeker uh, poster from Tomb Raider coming. I'm going to hang over on the uh, the left wall in here. So that'll be coming pretty 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 quick. Next hour, uh, we got Robert Steinbach going to join us. Uh, four o'clock, we'll have the folks from Conduit for Action. Five o'clock, we're going to have people from Horton's uh, uh, Orthotics and Prosthetics. They're going to come in and talk about some different things you need to know about if you ever get in the need of um, you know needing some help from them and what you do with Medicare and things of that nature because the government gets in your life. You know how that <laughs> always works. They get in your life. Okay, so let's get back to Darren. Okay, so this this Democrat chairman in Stone mm-hmm. County basically is running a scam to make more money for their party. Uh, pretty much. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, as as we were just talking about a while ago, um, you know, I, I talked to him, and we we went through the process for four days. I talked to him for four days, and uh, you know. I, I spelt it out for him. I showed him every document that I possibly could. I even showed him the state law statutes and everything, and uh, he just couldn't couldn't believe I was right. And uh, uh, on uh, Saturday, uh, which would have been I think uh, the twenty fourth, uh, he he had a conversation with his state chairman, Representative Michael John Gray, and uh, Michael John told him, you know, uh, Darren's right. <laughs> And uh, he 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 did later apologize, and so I thought I thought that was that was the end of the line. I thought this would be it. This you know surely. So now it's over with. Yeah, I thought that would be. However. The end. Yeah. However. Um, <laughs> Caveat. Yeah. However. however um, uh, I, I I was having another conversation with our candidate for coroner, a uh, good friend of mine, Joseph Blake, um, and uh, he mentioned that. That Monday, so the Monday before the paper came out, uh, before filing, uh, that he had a nice long conversation at one of the viewings he's conducting uh, with the uh, county collector, Sue Younger, who's a Democrat. And uh, Sue was very frustrated because the Democrat filing fees are extremely high. They were as high as $1,500 for a county judge. And I think for Sue, it was either a thousand or nine hundred dollars for a filing fee, and uh, so she was complaining. But the next day, the paper says that the Democrats' fee was twenty dollars across the board. Twenty dollars. 
That's a big drop. Uh, yeah, that's a big drop. $980, that's a big drop. Yeah, so how, how – and I, I started thinking in this conversation. I told him, buddy, let me hang up and let me do some research because something's not adding up. Because how could it be $1,500 Monday – Oh wait, it was more than that because I was going off a thousand dollars. Yeah, it was fifteen. Yeah, fifteen hundred dollars for county judge, and then twenty dollars the next day. How does that happen? So I started asking. I, I asked our county clerk, uh, Angie Hudspeth Wade. She said uh, that Michael Farrar came a week before, uh, and uh, say or the week before filing, so six days prior, uh, and said that the filing fees were lowered to twenty dollars. Okay, still something wasn't adding up. So I, I, I dug and I dug. And um, when I was digging, I got more questions than I did answers. You struck oil, in other words. Oh, yeah, I struck oil. Some, something was there. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't until the day uh, filing ended. So this filing ended at noon on the 1st of March. And uh, at 2 o'clock, we, can, we finished business at the Election Commission to... Uh, get all of our candidates finalized and get them ready for the Secretary of State's office. Okay. Uh, so both re- Republican, Democrat, Independent. And uh, um, after that meeting, I had a conversation with uh, an informant. Now, uh, I'll have to mention that this a is— source. Yeah, the source. And I'll have to mention that this person I, I can't mention because I-, I want her this person to be safe. Okay, Mrs. Z. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, so uh, they told me that uh, in January that the Democrats met. And I mentioned to this person, I have my suspicions that something's going on. Mind you, I, I just asked her that I have suspicions. Yeah. Little did I know that she's about to tell me everything. Oh. And um, this individual. Um, tells me that in January, to comply with state party rules of the Democratic Party, the rules specifically state that you you have to uh, send in within no later than 30 days your filing fees. Okay. Okay. So January, they set their filing fees, $1,500 and whatever it is down the, down the line. The, my informant says that the county chairman took it upon himself to go to the county clerk and lowered the filing fees to $20 across the board. Mind you, he was the the head guy of the Bernie uh, Sanders campaign for our region. So equal so for su- everybody. I'm su- Yeah, I'm surprised that he didn't pay for everybody's filing fee. No, oh, no. no, not that way. you got to figure out a way to use other people's tax oh, yeah. money to do that. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, now, uh, so... I, I then went to the uh, county clerk's office. I had a nice little private meeting with her, and I I told her what my informant mentioned, and she said word for word was correct that the Democrats, because she was at that meeting in January, that the Democrats indeed um, set their filing fees at $1,500, et cetera, et cetera, to whatever it may be. And then she did confirm that six days prior to uh, the filing uh, that the Democratic chairman, Michael Farrar, lowered it to $20. And his excuse was that he called everyone, and everyone said it was okay uh, in his county committee to lower it from $1,500 to 
something tells me he didn't talk to any of the candidates. You know what? I have the same suspicion. <laughs> um, so uh, wow. now, and I, I hope is, uh, I hope is, your listeners are this listening. Is crazy. Up. I hope your listeners yeah. are listening carefully. So after I got that confirmation, you know, I was baffled. I for the next two days, I just didn't. I couldn't comprehend what had just happened. You had what I caught him on a few days prior, and then this. This is huge. That you have such illegal activity that has, is that's going on, and of course, none of the Democrats up in my county are saying anything. Now, why would that be? Now, why that? Good question, there, Dave. Uh, why? Why is that? Uh, well, if you talk to any lawyer, you talk to anyone from the Secretary of State's office, you talk to any election commissioner that uh, that isn't that's complying with party rules, unlike Michael Farrar, who's the county chairman and the election commissioner, by the way. Um, if you talk to any of those people, they would tell you that the uh, Democrats did not legally and technically file for office. Because if your filing fee is $1,500 and you only paid $20, and I got the documentation down in my car, uh-huh. that everybody paid $20, even down to constable, only $20. And that's not the filing fee. So if you didn't... If you didn't pay for the fi- or if you didn't pay the full total of the filing fee, uh, fee, did you actually file for office? All right, keep your thought. Okay, got to take one more break. Then we'll come back, and I want to hear the end of this story because it sounds like to me there should be a lot of uncontested races for Republicans. You got that right. We will talk about it when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show, ninety-six-five FM, The Answer, Facebook, uh, Facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick Show. All right, got 11 minutes until uh, 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock hour. Robert Steinbach going to join us. He's a, a law professor over at the Bowen School of Law, UALR. His opinions are his and his alone do not necessarily reflect those of UALR or the Bowen School of Law, and I can just about guarantee you that they will be just 180 degrees opposed to what the <laughs> university thinks. But he'll be on with us in the next hour. We'll be talking about a lot of the uh, issues of uh, the day that are going on. For instance, they just started letting women drive in Saudi Arabia. Well, yeah. yeah, they just started. At least that's one step forward. Mm-hmm. All right, got one step forward. But our guest here this hour, uh, Darren Waddles, he's the chairman of the uh, Stone County Republicans. And uh, he c- uncovered a really interesting story here. Now, what you're telling me is all these people that only paid $20, was that the majority of the, the people who want to run? That's not only the majority. The, all of them filed only $20. Okay, so if they only filed $20, but they had voted on making it $1,500, correct? Yeah. The they, beginning. The, they, the Democratic Party of Stone County voted as a majority of a committee uh, to keep the filing fees the same at $1,500 and et cetera, however it may tear out. But and, they're they're much higher than $20. Okay, and so now you have the county chairman mm-hmm. on his own dropping the filing fee to 20 bucks, which yeah. would seem to me if it doesn't meet the requirements of what the party voted on, then these people have not got themselves into the election exactly and i I must uh add on that not only is he the democratic party chairman but he's also the election commissioner of the county 
So when does the lawsuit start, Darren? Uh, whenever there's a Democrat that actually wants to, you know, do something legal for a change. There, um, to my understanding is that, uh, you know, I, I don't believe that we can file suit against the party. Only a Democrat from Stone County can actually make amends, uh, or amends uh, to the situation at hand. And uh, I, I talked to s- some of the candidates, and uh, they uh, they don't they're not interested in getting themselves off the ballot. So they're they're going to not acknowledge that I talked to them. They're not going to acknowledge that something illegal has gone down. And uh, I th- why I'm here today is specifically to uh, get people around Arkansas, get the people of Stone County and let them see and hear for themselves uh, what's going on in Stone County, because the paper won't run it. Uh, I've been shut out uh, no, for several days. The The paper won't cover this no, story? No, sir. No, sir. They're in the click with them. So when you go, have you walked in and asked the publisher why they're not covering it? <laughs> I, I've talked to him, uh, uh, especially on the, the last thing we talked about uh, when he was uh, – saying X, Y, and Z, or I won't put you on the ballot. Mm-hmm. I talked to them about it. They're like, oh, no, this is going on. The next paper, they only ran uh, uh, just a clarification on what Mr. Farrar meant to say and how he meant to What he meant to yeah. say. They did not mention anything that I put out, didn't mention any laws broken or nothing. And uh, I-, I talked to the people around, and they told me, if you're not a fan of or if, uh, the paper's not a fan of you don't expect much and that's exactly what happened uh nothing happened okay now if i remember correctly there used to be a radio station up there that had a pretty good talk show conservative talk show and they'd been all over this uh is that gentleman gone now and or what um you know i i i believe he is gone uh i'm not for sure what all of the situation is, uh, but, but the radio station's not bringing this up uh, the, at at the moment because uh, I know the main guy for our region is Paul Harrell, which is yeah. uh, with Conduit News, who's on here from six a.m. to eight a.m. Okay, and uh, uh, I, I believe we'll be talking with Paul here in the next few days after the special election. Okay, well, I got Conduit for Arkansas on. Uh, in the four o'clock hour, I'll bring this up and talk to him, them on the air today. Okay, great. About it. Yes, this needs to be told. Well, yeah, I need to get out with everybody. What about the Dem Gaz? Are they interested? Uh, actually, I'm talking with the Dem Gaz right now, and uh, they're interested. Uh, but like I say, there's several things going on right now in Arkansas politics. This is kind of on the back burner because they want to look into it, see if I'm, my facts are right. I know they're right. I've I, I've been at this for the last few weeks, and. Um, uh, you know, after my informant and I got a confirmation straight from the county clerk, you know, there you go. I mean, I, I, I don't know how I can be more factual than that. Right. I'm going to tell the truth, and here I am. Okay. I mean, I, I may be running out of town after this conversation, <laughs> but, you know, at least I did the right thing. Well, it's, it's an interesting story, uh, to say the least, that, and that the local paper— won't tell the whole story, tells you what they think about their readers. Right. 
They have no respect for their readers at all. So instead of, instead of telling real news, they just don't tell any news. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Or tell a part of the news and leave out a part. Totally. Right. Hmm. Interesting. So what's your, your, you say you got, you're going to, you're talking to get dim gas. They're doing some checking of their own. All of this has to be done by when may. Uh, the exact date I'm not too familiar with as, uh, I've been told that it has to be done within the next few weeks. Okay. I do know that. So, uh, I think, uh, uh, the mid part of April, this needs to be really, something needs to be done. If not, uh, I'm, I don't know how the proceedings would go from there, but there has to be something that has, uh, must be done or filed by the mid point of April before everyone on the ballots are finalized. All right. So you're going to keep me up to date on this. I'll keep you up to, ba- up to date for okay. sure. Let me I know mean, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Have you met with Doyle Webb to ask him? I, I met with Doyle and that's where I got a lot of my information is that, uh, in fact, um, uh, Doyle, he, he's christened me, Mr. Troublemaker. Well, <laughs> uh, cause he, know, it's, he, that's not being a troublemaker. That's being nothing but a truth. Yes. Character. Yes. Uh, and which, I mean, that was a good thing. He, he chuckled when he said it, but, uh, um, he, he says that I definitely have something here and, um, for the Republican party for now, there's nothing much we can do other than me telling the public that this is going on. And, um, can the judge not put an embargo on this since they're breaking the law, they're breaking constitutional law here. You know, this is brand new to everyone and we're not exactly for sure what the stipulations are in fact i'll be talking with uh, some more lawyers here in the next few days um (laughs) and uh, if there's anyone listening in your audience right now that has that answer feel free to get in contact with me feel free to tell dave and have dave tell me why wouldn't you couldn't you just get somebody to register as a democrat and then ask that question (laughs) if it was only that easy um but um uh, it would have to be someone within the Democrat County Committee in Stone oh, County, okay. And uh, who that someone has, or uh, one of the candidates will have to file a civil suit and bring this to justice. Wow. In other words, they're saying they they don't want to do it because they don't want to feel like they're going to get, end up getting screwed. Right. All right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Interesting story. Again, uh, Dave Ellswick Show, 96.5 FM, The Answer. And, of course, uh, here on uh, Facebook Live, that would be facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, or you can listen to us on the app. Oh, yeah. You know, get the uh, get the, uh, the 96.5 FM app. You can get that off your uh, store and uh, hook it up, and you'll be able to get a hold of, uh, listen to this clear as a bell wherever you are. you can take us anywhere and listen to the show any day darren i have no excuse now <laughs> you, you have no excuse i appreciate you coming by we'll have you back on here in a couple of weeks so you can bring back the uh the latest to us How's all right that? thank you so much for letting me be on here no problem and sh- you got this on facebook share it with all of your friends would you share it with all of your friends all right Fox News, and then when we come back, Robert Steinbach on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, that's Thump.
Timothy Loom's book. And uh, the first, what is that called? The first, like, hundred days or something like that? Uh, what is yeah, it? the first hundred days. Yeah, hundred days. All right. So, by the way, that book's available on Amazon.com if you want a copy. It's been a great bestseller. And uh, you can get that, and you can get your own, you know, thump uh, stuffed doll like that with the the great uh, Trump hairdo on top. I love it. Love it. And Tim came by today, Tim Lim, and uh, brought me that. And so we wanted to put him in a in a highly visible place so you can see it. Let me. I know that Robert Steinbach is here. By the way, his opinions are his and his alone. I would never, never take Robert Steinbach's opinions away from him. Uh, he has his own opinions, and he does not necessarily reflect the opinions of UALR or the Bowen School of Law. I want to get that out of the way. And... Uh, do you happen to have a way of getting uh, Facebook uh, where you're at there, Robert? Um, I, I'm not on Facebook. I don't have a Facebook account, but I, th- I think I can access it, right? Can, like sort of the public accounts. Yeah, you can. I think you can, you can access Facebook without having a, a thing. Yeah, you can do that. Just go to Facebook.com/slash Dave Ellswick Show. Click on videos, and uh, uh, you can see uh, uh, Thump. Uh, on on the on the screen now that I've been talking about, and uh, you can watch the show. You can see your picture. Oh, fantastic! You oh, fantastic! Your you're on Facebook Live every time you're on, brother. Well, you know, uh, I'm glad you have that picture rather than me in person <laughs> because uh, th- there's a that's lot of coming. creative chemistry going on in that picture. I'm just telling you, that's coming. <laughs> there's a day that you'll be back in the studio. Yeah, I'll be back in the fall, actually. All right. I will be back in the fall. We'll, yep. be, we'll be looking for that. So uh, make sure you lay out on the beach and get nice and tanned. I, I think I'm going to have to show up like in a ski mask because <laughs> I'm, not sure, uh, I'm not sure the citizens of Arkansas are ready to see my ugly mug. It can't, it's, it, I'm gonna, I can say without a doubt that your mug is no worse than mine is. Well, there you go. You know, there my, you go. I'm, I'm already blinding them with my bald head. What can I say? There you go. That's going. That's going on right now. So, bottom line is uh, is uh, what what's new in the wonderful world of how can we completely destroy the First Amendment on college campuses? You have anything new? Yeah, a couple of things. Okay. One is there's a, a guy at Harvard who was asked, "What is your advice to the new president of Harvard coming in?" <laughs> uh, and and he had some interesting thoughts. This guy is a big liberal. And he said, we have a real problem in education today across this country. That is, if your views don't fit into the dogma of the left, you can't be an outside speaker. And if you're a faculty member, uh, be forewarned. If you say something that doesn't fit into the politically correct box, get ready to be investigated. Get ready for the for the colonoscopy of everything that you have to say, because we are going to follow you. We are going to put a microscope uh, against you, and we are going to make sure that if you haven't drank the Kool-Aid, that is the left-wing liberalism, that you will be run out of dodge. Now, I'm giving a little flavor to his comment, to be fair. Mm-hmm. But he, it's, uh, I, I uh, posted it on my Twitter. I've now become advanced enough 
to have a Twitter account, and I think my two sisters uh, and my mother constitute all of my listeners or watchers or whatever one calls them, uh, followers. Uh, But uh, nonetheless, uh, this guy, uh, who's a Harvard professor and a leftist, says, we're in big trouble. This is what's going on in academia today. Well, we've known this for a long time. That's right. The The left is finally catching on that, you know, this is biting the conservatives in the butt right now, but you know, the, the, the screw can turn in no time. That's right. That's right. Look, you're going to have folks on the left and the right who are not going to fall into that kind of mediocre middle problem that too many folks have become accustomed to. And you'll have folks on the left who want to push the envelope on the left. I know folks like that, smart people, good people. I disagree with them on their politics. And they try to push the envelope uh, at universities, at colleges, uh, and they get pushed back uh, from that sort of mediocre middle, uh, left to center mediocre middle, don't get me wrong. Uh, and they get pushed back, and they, even they, uh, from time to time, it's a lot more rare than relative to conservatives, but even they are getting forced out of academia or pressured, uh, being told, we don't like what you're writing on, we don't like what you're talking on, we don't like what you're saying. Uh, And this is a real problem, because as we've discussed on your show many times before, we don't need a bunch of left-wing socialist madrasas indoctrinating our students. What we need is a place where young adults can go to college and learn competing arguments and to make decisions for themselves. That's what we need. Yeah, well, don't, don't expect the colleges to do this easily. That's right. They're going to fight this every step of the way. I mean, look, this is stretched out to such a point that, you know, the, the, the teachers themselves understand, you know, here's the problem, Robert, whenever you don't speak up, when the little things happen, when you start speaking up and the big things are already happening, you can get caught up in the momentum and it can run you right over. Of course. Well, as you know, uh, that, that famous poem, and there are slightly different variations of it, uh, but it said, you know, first they came for one group and then another group, and it's like the con- first they came for the communists, then they came for the Jews, then they came for the Catholics, uh, and then since I didn't say anything all along, then they came for me, and there was nobody around to help me. Yeah, that's right. So this is kind of the point, which is this is not a left or right issue. This is a free speech issue. I've said it a thousand times on your show that the left in the 60s were at the vanguard of free speech, not the right. uh, And we played catch up. And now the left has taken over, dominated, controlled academia. And so all of a sudden they are forgetting the concepts of free speech because they're more they're more impressed with their short term political and social gains by pressing their leftist agenda. And it's going to come back in the future to bite them in the behinds. But in any event, when that happens, even before that happens, they need to be pressed to uh, to recognize and, and we need to use all the uh, appropriate avenues to ensure that they don't have the opportunity to quash free speech on campus and elsewhere. I want to move to a... Um a story that 
you, I got a, uh, looks like a tweet on Casey Johnson. Are you familiar? Tell me about it. Uh, okay. I, you have to give me a little more context. Uh, I, I have here dealing with, uh, ASU. Oh, that's right. Okay. Now remember ASU in that article is not Arkansas. It's, um, is it, I don't remember if it's Alabama. You have to pull it up, but there's an out of state college where a group of Muslim students wanted to invite a speaker. And let me be clear here. That's fine. That's good. Uh, and they wanted to invite a speaker And this school has a policy that any speaker has to disavow this anti-Israel movement. It's known as BDS. It's essentially an anti-Israel movement. Mm-hmm. Now, you know that I'm pro-Israel. Correct. But that notwithstanding, I don't require, nor would I ever require, anybody who wants to come and speak on campus to disavow their personal views, their public views, their views that are guaranteed by the First Amendment um, uh, simply to come speak on campus. Yet this school, this out-of-state school, wanted this uh, uh, Muslim speaker that was coming to a Muslim-American group uh, to speak on campus to disavow his views, which happen to be anti-Israel, meaning I disagree with his views, but I don't get to decide what his views are the same way he doesn't get to decide what my views are. Now, if, fact, if, if you want to do this, you know, offer time for both sides to come in and speak. That's right. That's right. That if, if you don't like his views uh, and you're someone else on campus, then put up your own guy to come talk. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, so it, it, the irony is, this is one of those instances in which you will find me, as I have done on many occasions, come to the defense of someone with whom I disagree on the substance significantly. And I will tell you, that person has a First Amendment right to speak, and it's disgusting what's happening to him. And of course, the classic example, as we all well know, is when the ACLU, uh, uh, as represented individually by a Jewish lawyer in Illinois, uh, represented the Nazis, the neo-Nazis, to come march in Skokie, Illinois. This uh, religious Jewish lawyer represented the neo-Nazis, not because he's a neo-Nazi, not because he believes in Nazism, but because he believes in the First Amendment. And so he did the right thing back then, and I'm telling you, I'm nowhere as good as this guy is. I don't have the, the, the wherewithal that this guy has, but I can tell you, I will defend this uh, group and that individual's right under the First Amendment to come speak on campus as much as I disagree with the substance of what he has to say. And this is this left-wing liberalism run amok. All right. This is, uh, again, uh, Arizona State that this is happening. Arizona, thank you. Yeah, it's in Arizona. Right. Right. Okay, so, uh, you know, really interesting uh, about this. And, and again, I'm as about – most people – send me emails and texts call me a Zionist. You know, the people who don't like Israel, Good. they call me Good. a Zionist. And I, I willingly uh, say, yeah, you're right. I am. I'm really pro Israel. I have been right. all my life. So, right. but with that said, I wouldn't keep this guy from coming in and speaking. Exactly. Exactly. 
And that's the, that is the remarkable thing about this. How do you stop someone with whom you disagree to come speak on campus and call yourself an academic? How do you not understand that's exactly what academia is about? Uh, in fact, uh, while, of course, it's useful to learn the nuances of one's own uh, beliefs and positions, and so it's, uh, you shouldn't eschew people who speak on your own topic, all else being equal, it's perhaps more beneficial to hear people with whom you disagree, because they're the ones who are going to test your ability to think and challenge you. Now, a good balance, of course, is the ideal. But these people want to exclude at ASU, again, not Arkansas, at Arizona, want to keep out a speaker because they want to give him essentially like the old anti-communist oath. Swear on this piece of paper that you're not a communist. Look, I don't like communists either, but I wouldn't require anybody to sign an anti-communism oath the same way I wouldn't require them to sign this anti-what's known as BDS oath, which is essentially a, a, a BDS is an anti-Israel program. Um, and there are people out there are against Israel. Uh, so they're entitled to me. I disagree with them. And they have a First Amendment right to speak. And the notion that in this year we're still debating the ability of people to speak on campuses, students, outsiders, faculty, staff, is mind-boggling. And what you see going on by universities across this country is attempts to parse it every which way. That, oh, what you're talking on, that's not an issue of national importance. That's not an issue of public interest. Oh, uh, you can say this, but you can't say that. The fact is, you can say any darn thing you want to say, obviously, other than that extremely narrow exception like yelling fire in a movie theater and defamation. Uh, uh, that's it. Other than that, you can say whatever you want. Look, the neo-Nazis would quite literally come on uh, any place that they would speak and speak out against Jews. That's what Nazis do. And as you and your audience know, I'm Jewish. And I'm a practicing Jew. So do you think I like what neo-Nazis have to say? Of course not. Would I claim that they don't have a First Amendment right to speak? Of course not. And would I prevent a group from bringing them to speak in any public venue? Of course not. Yeah, that doesn't mean that you would pay to have them come speak. Exactly. It just means that exactly. if somebody does pay, meets the parameters of uh, bringing the people, they should be allowed to come and speak. That's right. And if you don't like them, by the way, go stand outside of the hall in which you're speaking and put up a placard and tell them, go home. We don't like you. We don't need you. Uh, um, and, and all sorts of things that, that demonstrate your distaste for them. And you can use all sorts of flowery, flowery language as well. I've got no problem with any of that. That's First Amendment. You can't shout them down. Because then you're stopping speech. Mm -hmm. But you can have counter speech, and counter speech is to say they're bad and call them names and anything else that you think is appropriate. That's what counter speech is about. Because only through counter speech do we get debate. Uh, but we find this growing and growing movement across campuses and across other environments uh, in this country uh, in which people are told, you're not allowed to say something. You're not allowed to think 
something. And of course, it goes back to um, uh, what's it? Uh, Fahrenheit is it? I always mess up the number. Yeah, Fahrenheit 451. 451. Thank you. And and 1984, where in those novels, uh, and they were written back uh, uh, in fear of communism, uh, where in communism and in fascism, because they are essentially the same, you weren't allowed to say things, you weren't allowed to think think things, and you were thrown into jail if you broke the dogma. And of course, as we well know, post-Vietnam War, after we pulled out uh, the North Vietnamese, then the entire Vietnamese, meaning they took over the country, they sent a bunch of people to re-education camps, quote-unquote, where they were beaten, they were butchered, they were killed, and they were indoctrinated, and not necessarily in that order. Uh, and so uh, th- this uh, cannot be tolerated by people who are free-thinking and constitutionalist, U.S. constitutionalists. I and you, and, and I suspect many in your audience are amongst those people. All right. Let's take a quick break. Robert Steinbach is our guest. He'll be with us this hour. He is a law professor, Bowen School of Law, uh, part of uh, UALR. His opinions are his and his alone. And uh, Thump says the same thing. Those are his opinions alone. We'll come back. We've got more for you here on the uh, Dave Ellswick Show, 96.5 FM, The Answer. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, Robert Steinbach is our uh, guest here this uh, hour. We've almost covered a full half hour. We got Fox News coming up here in in just a few moments. I got a hold of the representative up in Minnesota, and she is sending me uh, that uh, information on her uh, particular bill she wants to file up there, uh, Robert. And I will get it over to somebody on the House or the Senate side who wants to carry it, which says that no university may abridge the student's uh, First Amendment rights. Thank goodness. And by the way, you know what I'll add to that as a suggestion? Uh, No university may abridge a student, an outside speaker, a faculty member, or a staff member's First Amendment rights. Let's, Let's have free speech across the board at all universities, and then elsewhere as well, but one step at a time, obviously. Yeah, we're going to have to do it here and then get some uh, media coverage to get other states to do the same thing. You stay That's with right. me. You stay with me, Robert. We'll be back. We got to get to Fox News. Fox News is coming up one minute to tell you about what's really going on in the world and it's real news, not fake news. O'clock. We're going to uh, be talking with Conduit for Action. Got a lot of things to talk to them about. Uh find out who's going to be the new speaker of the house. We already know who's going to be the uh, president pro tem of the Senate. That'd be Hendren. Uh, he'll be taking over that. So uh, a lot of different things to, to talk about uh, in the next hour. Plus I want to go back and, uh, and talk to Brenda and Joe uh, about what's going up, uh, going on in stone County. We just talked with you about, uh, about that a story that was sent to me by uh, our guest. And, and of course, that's uh, Robert Steinbach. He is with us right now uh, from Texarkana. School districts are reevaluating safety plans after the recent school shooting in Parkland, Florida, and one is considering deputizing some of the staff members. 
uh, Angela Bryant, superintendent at uh, Genoa Central School District, said she plans to meet with the Miller County Sheriff's Office on what procedures are required to deputize staff members. Uh, we have some parents that are concerned about school safety, Bryant said. They have seen the idea, have brought me some th- uh, things other schools in the state of Arkansas are doing. Now, one of those schools, and we've talked about them here on the Dave Ellswick Show, is Clarksville School District, where teachers and staff members members have been armed since 2013. Think about that. That's five years ago. Uh, Clarksville Superintendent David Hopkins is on the Arkansas School Safety Commission created by Governor Hutchinson. Hopkins, along with other educators and law enforcement officials, will evaluate and recommend uh, recommend school security policies and campus designs. Brian said one thing she plans to address is employees' ability to keep guns locked in their cars. She said Arkansas law allows it, but the district does not have a concealed carry policy. Now, here's my thought on this. You tell me if you think I'm wrong here, Robert. We do. Okay, so we come up with a way that teachers, superintendents, whomever uh, can carry, uh, concealed carry uh, weapons, not on their person. Uh, in, in this instance, they're talking about keeping them in cars, uh, the teachers out in uh, the parking lot. Why not have something inside a classroom, you know, biometric uh, safe or something that the teacher can access their gun instead of having to run from the school out to their car, get in their car, get their gun and get back to the school? Because as I've explained several times with Ed Monk from uh, our folks over at Last Resort Firearms, Every, in the first minute, if a person, another person with a gun doesn't come up against the person with the gun, about every 10 seconds, uh, somebody's going to get shot and either hurt or get killed. So that's right. That amount of time that you got to run to the parking lot is valuable time. You're burning up. Sure. I I don't frankly understand this whole point about running to the parking lot. I gather that these people are not seeking the concealed carry license uh, uh, that Charlie Collins uh, soundly got passed after many years fighting for it, known as campus carry. Uh, I think it's what Act 561 or 562, maybe. Uh, In any event, uh, that's uh, designed to create greater safety uh, in schools. Uh, and having a gun locked in a car doesn't do any good, essentially, unless for some reason the bad guy is running around the parking lot while the person who has the gun in the car is at or in the car. Uh, but otherwise, it's it's only marginally better than being at the person's home because they could get in the car, drive home, pick up the gun, and drive back to the school uh, and be just about as effective. Uh, the only thing less effective, uh, I think, uh, were those uh, sheriffs at Parkland who stayed outside during the shooting. Yeah. The, the whole Parkland matter hits very close to home to me because my sister is a graded school teacher in Florida. Uh, and so she knows about these things uh, very well. And uh, she uh, 
aptly says the same things that we're saying, which is if you don't have somebody in the school armed, be it faculty, be it uh, a law enforcement, uh, then you are not going to have a, 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 a sufficient defense. Of course, you do other things to harden the target. You don't let people uh, willy-nilly uh, in, in and out of the doors and that kind of thing. Uh, I must give uh, credit, by the way, to uh, the law school that I teach at, you know, the Bowen Law School. Uh, they recently put on a seminar uh, uh, for the students and, and faculty about how they can increase security at the law school, and they are inviting further comments uh, to achieve that goal. So th these are all smart moves um, uh, where you need to harden the target, but you also need to have the ability uh, for people to defend themselves and others inside uh, campuses, inside classrooms, if, God forbid, some uh, um, crackpot like this guy in Parkland comes in uh, with the desire and means uh, to kill students and faculty as well. Yeah. Uh you know, Clarksville, like I said, has had this for five years. I remember that uh, they it, it was going on. It seems like it was a year or two ago uh, that there was a security firm that was going out. And basically, if I remember correctly, they were deputizing the people uh, at the Clarksville School District and mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that allowed them to have uh, firearms. Right, because that would proceed that would precede uh, campus carry that Charlie Collins got passed. And so there had to be an alternative means by which uh, you could have armed uh, teachers in the school and deputization would be one method. Yeah. And I think that that's exactly what they did uh, for that. And it, it will, you know, it sounds to me as I, I, I read this article and I read more of it during the time that we are on break that the, uh, the school districts, and in this case, the superintendent at, uh, I guess it's Genoa J or G E N O A, but you never know how they pronounce it. I went, mm -hmm. I lived in Kentucky and it, they, they called it, uh, instead of Versailles or Versailles, they called it Versailles. All right. So, exactly. <laughs> so I'm just going that that's what it is, but she, she just brings up a, a lot of kind of nonsense things here. You know, she says well, things that are kind of really kind of weird in this story, which tends for me to believe that perhaps she's not the big, you know, a proponent of this. Well, you see this all the time across the country, across the state with administrators, because there's this inertia, inertia not to do anything, not to move, not to change. She references, well, I'm concerned about the liability, meaning I'm concerned about being sued. Mm -hmm. If I don't do anything, if I don't think ahead, if I don't think outside of the box, well, then I can't get sued is the implication of that statement. But you know what my number one concern is? Uh, the students, the safety of the students. Uh, and so you, you have to think outside the box. You got to think proactively. Everybody's reacting. You got to be proactive, even though I don't love that term. It's really just active. But you got to be active or proactive, and and think about what's going to happen next, not what's happened previously, and take precautions. And I, like you, like Charlie Collins, like the vast majority of the legislators and governor that passed Act 562, believe one line of defense is campus carry, and that's the law, 
And as I mentioned on this show uh, several times, in fact, in the past, uh, the University of Arkansas um, system council's office, um, I pause because I don't know exactly what that name is, it's something like system council's office, put out a very good explanation of what that law entails and what rights individuals have under that law. And so I think we are in a better environment now uh, with that law, and I hope people will start to take advantage of the training necessary to get that campus carry endorsement and start carrying on campus to increase our safety. And, you know, the people on the left come up with all the, oh, you know, more guns equals more violence and more dangerousness. But they never seem to say that about police, right? The, the left and the right, mind you, generally think having more police is better. Oh, well, they say the police, they've got all sorts of, uh, sorry, this is the vicissitudes of calling in. They've got all sorts of um, uh, people who are um, uh, uh, all sorts of training that the police have that the individuals don't have. And the truth is, that's not actually very accurate. Police have training, but you know what? Act 562 itself requires training, and a lot of people who own guns and will go through this whole process are very vigilant. This is Arkansas. These are people who understand guns, who, who, who know their importance and know their dangerousness, and I have every belief that, for the most part, people who get licensed with campus carry are going to be well-trained individuals. And prudent individuals. And so I can't guarantee it. I can't say it's going to be every individual, but you have to offset the balance, the benefit of those largely well-trained individuals against the risk of some crackpot coming in and doing something really, really evil like happened in Parkland. So this doesn't happen in a vacuum. This happens in reality. And we need to compare the relative dangers of all things. By the way, we do it with automobiles all the time. Automobiles, as you know, kill far more Americans every year than do guns. So should we ban automobiles? Of course not. Why don't we ban automobiles? Because we recognize, notwithstanding the inherent danger of an automobile, it's an extremely dangerous instrumentality. We get a lot of benefits out of it. We get to drive to work. We get to drive to the grocery store. We get to drive to church, etc. So there's lots of benefits, and there are benefits to gun ownership. There's, of course, uh, hunting uh, and sportsmanship, but the number one benefit of gun ownership is defense. It's personal defense. And so we want to use that number one benefit, as recognized in the Second Amendment, to offset bad people and bad activities. And I believe that Charlie Collins' Act 562 uh, will move us in that right direction. So when you hear the leftists tell you, oh, but guns are bad, guns can be involved in bad behavior. Of course, guns are inanimate, much like cars are inanimate. They're not bad or good, but they can, do, they can be used for good and they can be used for bad. And if we lived in a world of unicorns and snowflakes and rainbows uh, where nobody had guns, then maybe the introduction of a gun would be a dangerous thing overall. I don't know, but at least I, I will uh, be open to that possibility. But we don't. 
We live in a world of Parklands. We live in a world where there are dangerous people out there who do evil things all the time. And we need to recognize that we can't live in our cloistered uh, uh, ivory towers. We need to understand the dangers and reasonably protect ourselves. And this is just one method by which we can reasonably protect ourselves. And, of course, the other one that I discussed already is hardening our schools. Oh, yeah. not having people walk in and out without being checked because that's just dangerous. Now, I, I guess the thing that drives me uh, the most crazy is that ever since, you know, they have mentioned allowing teachers to be armed, here is what the left has done. They have tried to muddy that topic up by saying, well, you know, what if the teacher doesn't want to carry as though, what you're going to do is force them to carry, which has never been mentioned. It's always been, we'll ask teachers who would like to do this to see how many want to do this. You know, it's a very important point that you raised, Dave. It really is, because I've heard that, and it's it's disingenuous. It is a lie. Yes. No one, no one is suggesting that a teacher must carry. They are saying that a teacher may carry. It's a world of difference, of course, right? Mm -hmm. So no teacher will ever be required. No conservative has said that. No moderate has said that. Of course, no liberal has said that. So the notion uh, that uh, uh, it's going to be mandatory is pure and utter fiction. Similarly, you know, the, the left says, well, you know, why is it that you're concerned about reducing guns, uh, making these extra laws to reduce access to guns? We we have laws against murder and arson and all these other bad things. You're not concerned about about that. And of course, there's no logic in that statement. Uh, the, the, the fact is that in addition to having a constitutional right to bear arms, we recognize, as I just discussed, that guns offer positives. And the primary positive is self-defense. So if we eliminate guns from law-abiding citizens, well, those who break the law won't have guns, but those who don't break the, uh, 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 excuse me, those who are willing to break the law will have guns, while law-abiding citizens won't have guns. That's a worse situation. That's a worse situation than having good guys also having guns. Now, the left from time to time, disputes this obvious notion, and they're free to dispute it, logic aside. But when it comes to things like arson and murder, there are no good guys that want to commit arson. So we're not looking to ensure a good guy some ability to commit arson. He's not committing arson. What we want to do is disincentivize bad guys from committing arson. And so we ratchet up the penalties so that while they may, some may be disincentivized from doing it, and to the extent that they're not, they're thrown in jail after they're caught so that they cannot repeat it. So that's what normal criminal law does. It offers some modest disincentive, and then it removes the wrongdoers from the environment. But we don't want to disincentivize law abiders from carrying guns. We want to encourage them to carry guns. We want to disincentivize lawbreakers from carrying guns. And that's why the analogy presented by the left, I can't tell if they just don't get it 
Well, if it's just entirely disingenuous. It's disingenuous. They get it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty mm-hmm. easy. It, it's not rocket science. It's not brain mm-hmm. science. It has mm-hmm. to do with uh, common sense. And uh, I, I'm just saying very few people arguing with somebody from the left. Uh, uh, most liberals, most uh, progressives will find common sense in uh, heavy supply. Robert Steinbach mm-hmm. is our guest. Remember, he is a legal professor, law professor, Owen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone and do not necessarily reflect that of the school or of UALR. All right, down to the last couple of moments with Robert Steinbach. That time has gone quickly today. Uh, had him on last uh, Friday. Uh, there's just been just an all-out frontal assault against the First Amendment, and uh, I'm so happy that we're able to bring Robert on, sometimes at very short notice, to talk about uh, you know what the left is really trying to do uh, in our country and in our state and in our personal public universities. And Robert, I wanted to personally thank you for making yourself available to the Dave Ellswick Show. Dave, it's my pleasure, um, and I look forward to working with you and all of your many, many contacts in the legislature, in the governor's office complex, uh, so that we can start passing additional laws that are going to secure the God-given rights of the First Amendment and the equivalent in the state version uh, for every Arkansas citizen. How ridiculous is it that you and I are sitting here talking about passing laws to make our constitution legal, basically. That's right. That's right. 2018. How silly is that? It's amazing. But the the irony is, I think, as we talked about previously, the Bill of Rights were almost not enacted in the federal constitution because everybody back then said, well, these things are obvious. And then there were some folks said, you know what, let's just put this down. So now that it's down, uh, now we've got to take the next step and say, you know what, let's just pass another law to make sure that everybody knows we really meant it. Yeah, just think that there was a time, even with the Constitution itself, that there was a group of people who said, I won't vote on this unless you guarantee that you'll have uh, this material in the Constitution saying these particular rights are absolutely protected. That's right. That's right. And thank goodness that happened then. But we've now got to do our part. Uh, And as you know, uh, you have a lot of contacts throughout the legislature, uh, and I mean elected officials and in the governor's uh, complex. And so uh, you are a strong force on these issues, and people listen to you correctly, Dave. And so I'm confident we're going to get a lot done. All right. I appreciate you. I'll see you next week, bro. God bless. Okay. Bye-bye. Robert Steinbach here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget, his opinions are his and his alone. And yes, I promise I'll get that legislation and I'll have somebody carrying it uh, that protects the First Amendment on the colleges and universities of Arkansas. A break for Fox News when we come back. Conduit for action. Got a lot to talk to them about here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, into the 4 o'clock hour on a Monday. Good to have you along for the ride today. We've had uh, two very good hours thus far. We talked about what's going on in Stone County uh, today. We also have been uh, talking 
in the last hour, Robert Steinbach, talking about what's happening uh, with the First Amendment, college campuses, talking about hardening schools and how uh, superintendents talk around the issue instead of talking straight about an issue, uh, talking about uh, the uh, school district down south uh, here in the state around Texarkana and how they're talking about, uh, yeah, we, we think we'd like to have some of the teachers uh, have a, a gun, uh, but we want them to keep it in their car out in the parking lot, which basically uh, does away with the reason that you want them to have the gun. You want them to have the gun so if a shooting begins in the, in the school, uh, they can get it as quickly as possible and try to neutralize the threat. If they got to run out to their car, get the gun out of their car, run back into uh, the uh, the school, and what if the teacher's at the other end of the school? Now they got to run to the other end of the school. Uh, you're going to have dead students because time, precious time, has has passed. So uh, sometimes I read these superintendents, and then she, this this superintendent made this. I have to consider liabilities. Hey, how about you consider about protecting the students first? And maybe what we can do is have our state legislators do something like uh, tort reform to ha- help the schools uh, when they're trying to uh, protect the students at the schools. Uh, Brenda and Joe join me from Conduit for Action here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Good to have them along. Uh, Brenda, Joe, how are you today here on this Monday? Very good, Dave. Thank you. Yeah, well, nice. Yeah, Everything's good on a Monday. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been pretty good. I would have liked it to be a little warmer today, but I'll take the sunshine. I'm loving the sunshine. Okay, so let, let me start off about something that I, Brenda asked what kind of t- topics I'd like to cover today. First thing I want to cover is that we we have a new Senate pro tem, and that is Hendren uh, in in the Senate, and then we have now Senator Hendren is going to be the the head head uh, potentate over in the Senate, and in the House now we also have a new Speaker of the House since Jeremy Gillum uh, decided to give that up, and his uh, term as a representative runs out in January. First of all. We talked a little bit about Senator Hendren uh, a couple of weeks ago. Let, let's talk today uh, about the new uh, Speaker of the House and see what you both think about this person. So let me turn it over to you. Let us know what's going on. We met Matt Shepard um, in 2012, I think it was, when, um, excuse me, Terry Rice was about to be elected Speaker of the House, and Bruce Westerman was about to become the Majority Leader. That was the expectation, and uh, Matt came to my office. We were discussing tort reform, and uh, it was a a nice, pleasant meeting, and that's really the only time that we have met with Matt personally. Well, I think it's important that we look at the history over time. It is important for the audience to realize that Conduit has been watching for six years, so we have a little bit of a history. You know, you know, when you watch things over a period of time, things become a little clearer. So in 2012, 
I think the Republicans had a 51 majority in the House. Terry Rice would have been an excellent choice for speaker, but they elected Davy Carter, who was a Democrat before and now has rejoined the Democrat Party. And he was elected by a handful of Republicans and all of the Democrats to the Speaker of the House. That's correct. With a Republican majority. Now, you fast forward a few years, now they elect Jeremy Gill, who, who arguably has a lot of liberal ideas and big government ideas. Now we fast forward again to today, Matthew Shepard, he is on our scorecard is 47th in the House. So it seems like the Republicans do not actually want to execute the Republican platform, but want to execute the circle of wagons, big government platform. Okay. Uh, well, you know, we got to hand it to the Democrats. When they, when they get control, they actually do what they say. Well, I mean, what do we have? 26 Republicans, I mean, excuse me, 76 Republicans, and uh, obviously we could elect anybody we wanted to as Speaker. Oh, yeah, well, there's, there's, there's no, no doubt about that. Yeah, any of the top ten would have been excellent choices for, you know, pushing the, the actual Republican platform agenda rather than the circle the wagons for the big government what can I get out of this deal party? Well, what, what happened to Andy Davis and, uh, 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 of little rock? Was he not liberal enough for them? Um, you know, I, I guess we will, uh, have to leave it up to the Democrats to answer that. <laughs> yeah. The Democrats are electing the Republicans that they want these days. You know, the job of the speaker, I mean, I guess what will be interesting is to see if they change the new rule that they implemented last session, which is sort of astounding, you know, that they would give all the power to the speaker. And now to hand all the power to Matt Shepard, well. Um, well, we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll, we'll talk again when they assign committees, and then we'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> well, wasn't it, we could, it, it, it had something to do with committees, if I remember correctly, that turned some of the uh, uh, turned some of the Republicans against Rice, was it not? Um, it was, you know, like right. This was November, as I recall, November two thousand twelve, and um, Terry Rice was up for election, and there were like five, maybe five Republicans who voted with BB's group, and uh, they elected Davy Carter. And they were, uh, yeah, they were promised chairmanships of committees. And, you know, this is, of course, uh, one and a half hand. I won't say third hand. But it's pretty close. Well, and it's also important to interject the uh, system of electing a speaker for the next group of legislators coming in. It, you know, that, in, in, in my view and, and many others, they should elect the speaker when they convene for, the newly elected people convene for the first time. No, that, that, that I was definitely very, do. Uh, much an issue because yeah. of the term limits. There were, you know, maybe forty nine percent or whatever would come in as new legislators. So yeah, it was a lot we, higher than that. No, we all voted for ter, uh, to establish term limits, and <laughs> then it's much, all good now. Twenty percent. Yeah, I definitely agree that it should be 
the newly elected and those that are still serving who de- uh, determine who the speaker is going to be. I'm, I'm sure that there's those people who argue, well, the people who are coming in new don't even know all of the people who are serving. Well, yeah, and they didn't know all of the people who are not serving any longer. Well, exactly, and then they might default to just voting party line. How, how weird would that be? Yeah, I'm just uh, but, saying. But about Matt, you know, we really have not had um, – We've had very limited interaction with Matt. I certainly look forward to uh, getting to know him and working with him. I'm, I'm certainly going to uh, come into the relationship as far as conduit's concerned with an open mind. And just because he has voted, uh, you know, more than almost 50% of the time or, or, you know, closer to where the more progressive legislators would vote, um, you know, maybe he'll have a change of heart as speaker. Yeah, that that you know the speaker. People don't realize that he carries a lot of a power as the pro tem does because they're the ones that uh, determine if bills are going to kind of live and die. They they put them in in the places that they believe they have the best chances of passing or dying. I mean, this the, that that's kind of what their whole job is about. Plus. They're going to put the people in charge of the committees that they know will do it the way they want it done. Yeah, I think as soon as the committees are assigned, we, we will have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen in the next two years. Yeah, I, I would agree with we that. we hope for the best. Yeah, we, we do. I mean, I hope for the best uh, as well. Uh, there's, a, there's going to be a lot of things that come up uh, beyond of taxes being number one. Uh, issue on on the uh, the docket. Uh, as far as we get getting to Medicaid expansion, I think we kind of all see the writing on the wall on that. Unless we can get a wholesale change going on in the House and the Senate, you know, we're going to have to live with this uh, the, this piece of uh, uh, legislation now because uh, the Republicans have spoken about where they stand on it. Well, let me give you a ray of sunshine if we have just another minute about the issue you just brought up, taxes. Let's not forget that it was Matt Shepard who was uh, the instigator through the pressure of his district, being El Dorado, to uh, have our governor take a second look at his uh, push for the tax increase or doing away with the reduction of capital gains tax in his very first uh, month of service. Remember uh, Hendren's bill that was going to raise that that tax cut back up. Mm-hmm. All right. So it, it has stayed down. Perhaps, um, you know, Shepard can uh, get lowered even more. Well, I mean, I would predict that his district does not uh, favor tax increases. Well, I would. Especially yeah. capital gains <laughs> when, when there's, there's a lot of energy uh, producing interest down there. Yeah. When you got Murphy oil and all of them, absolutely. And, and good for Arkansas. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the story was, uh, Joe, two weeks ago, that here in about another uh, half of a year, the United States of America, I, I wouldn't have believed it unless I read it and saw the numbers, is going to be the number one oil producer and energy producer in the world again. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I, I like the economic activity and the security of that, 
but I'm kind of of the mind that we ought to at least consider using all the rest of the world's oil first and then keeping ours <laughs> for later. Well, that's an option, you know. Yeah, maybe we're doing Always that as well. Mm-hmm. Well, we may be storing some. We just don't know about it. I mean, we still got those caves full down along the coast somewhere, don't we? Well, we may be horizontally drilling thousands of miles <laughs> and sucking the oil out of, you know, West Africa and and uh, China. Maybe our, our drill rigs go that far horizontally. Maybe that's where they're getting it. Yeah, I have no idea. I just I just know technology is, is wonderful right now. And typically under natural gas, believe it or not, you'll find oil again. So we'll have to see how much oil there really is down in the earth. Maybe that whole peak oil thing is, uh, you know, not such a, a viable scientific thought after all. Yes. Yeah, very similar to the global warming scam, isn't it? Yep. It, it definitely is that. Let me put you both on hold for a moment. We'll be back. We'll continue talking. I want to bring you up to date on what's going on in Stone County. If you've heard the story about the Stone County Democrat chairman, I just had uh, uh, Darren Waddle, the Republican chairman of Stone County, uh, uh, on here uh, on the show. And some really interesting things happening uh, there in Stone County. We'll talk about it when we come back. 96.5 FM, The Answer. Back with you, Conduit for Action is our guest this hour. Uh, Brenda and Joe are here on the air with me. And uh, Brenda, Joe, I, I uh, sent out a message real quickly to Darren Waddles, who's the Stone, uh, the GOP Stone County uh, chairman, and uh, asked him if he could join us because I'd love him to be on with you to answer any questions you might have. But uh, the bottom line is this. What's going on in uh, Stone County is that you have the Dem uh, County chairman uh, and his uh, subordinates or the, uh, the, the the group of people to come together to make their laws for how their elections are going to be uh, carried out, how you can, you know, what fees you got to pay. They were charging $1,500 uh, to run for a, a local office. And six days now uh, before they could, uh, you know, get the names on the ballot, they dropped that to, or he did, as the chairman dropped it to $20. Now, according to the law of the state of Arkansas, he can't just drop uh, the charge. That's got to be done by the committee, not by the chairman. And so that would, uh, the people who have paid just 20 bucks, uh, are not legitimate candidates uh, for those offices. However, the only way that that can be uh, enforced is if a Democrat brings it before, you know, a judge. I'm not expecting that to happen, but this is the kind of uh, kind of uh, weird stuff that's going on up in Stone County. Well, it was the intent to um, allow the candidates to have more funding for their campaign or what, what was the reason for the change for well, Democrats files? I guess they were trying to pay them what they were worth. <laughs> yeah. Nobody knows why they dropped it, but it, it was illegally dropped. I mean, the committee set it up at $1,500 and the chairman just told them that it was going to be $20 and you can't do that. That's, that's against the law. 
Well, he probably didn't have any takers at fifteen hundred. <laughs> I'm. I would say that that's probably a pretty good uh, guess there, Joe. To be honest with you, but it also. But you know, at least the Democrats are committed to what they're trying to accomplish by any means. You know, the ends justify the means. That's that's what they're about. Well, I, we've known and that he, for he, a long time. So now we, I wish our party had a little bit more dedication to the principles. Yeah, well, problems with the Democrats, that's what you're talking. I don't want that principle of cheating, and I don't want. And that's basically, <laughs> you know, that that's what that is, what you're looking at there. You know, you got uh, just uh, the chairman making those kinds of decisions. But what it does mean is that those people should not be uh, uh, carried out by uh, by them as as uh, viable candidates. They didn't pay the amount they're supposed to pay. Did he say how many candidates there were? I mean, you know, what, what kind of uh, impact will this have on their local elections? Well, we I'm going to find that out uh, when we come back here in just a few moments after we uh, take our pause for Fox News. Uh, Darren's going to join us. Do you, do you all have any problem with him calling in? That would be great. And we can talk with him about this. It's a great story. I, I understand that Darren is going to be on with Paul uh, as well. So our morning uh, fans are going to hear this story as well. I don't know. It's the next couple of days that it's going to happen. So, uh, you know, they're going to talk about this and, and what's going on. And I've got the number for you, uh, Zach. Uh, if you want to come over here, I'll give it to you. And uh, you can call Darren, Darren and get him all set up with us. So uh, we'll hear more about this. It's really an interesting story uh, because the guy who's the chairman of the Democrats uh, tried as hard as he could uh, to tell Paul, uh, tell, uh, not Paul, but to tell Darren that he was full of it. And then Darren started uh, quoting chapter and verse to him of uh, election law, and suddenly he started changing his tune. Yeah, we like Darren. Yeah. <laughs> They're a good piece. You know, we, uh, we were subjected to some Democrat um, shenanigans when we were trying to get Joseph Wood on the ballot, and, uh, you know, they sued our county committee and uh, said that he was an illegal candidate, and uh, I'm sure they would have been happy with John Wood, who was also John Woods, who was also running. But uh, anyhow, it can be quite interesting local politics. All right, Very well, interesting. let's take a break. I got Fox News coming up. When we come back, I'll have Darren with us as well, and Brenda and Joe also. All right, let's continue on with the show. Darren uh, Waddles is going to join us uh, as well. Darren, you there? Yes, sir. Okay, sir, we got, I'm glad to be here for a ninth time. Yeah, we <laughs> we got you here on the on the show along with Brendan Joe from Conduit for Action. Real quickly, encapsulate this whole story that's going on in Stone County for them. Okay, uh, in a nutshell, uh, the Democratic Chairman uh, Michael Farrar, who is also on the Election Commission in Stone County, he's breaking a lot of laws. He has uh, took it upon himself and went against his county committee, lowered the filing fee to $20 where it was originally uh, tiered off between uh, $1,500 and a couple hundred dollars, depending on what you're running for here in the county. And uh, every Democrat uh, filed $20. Uh, he's 
some other things that I had mentioned in, earlier in the show uh, where uh, he, uh, uh, you know, he wasn't complying to state law on how he was filing uh, certain candidates. Uh, and uh, initially, they did not pay the appropriate filing fee as set by the county committee within the 30-day period that they were supposed to. And uh, the way we look at it and the attorneys we've talked to and our party, uh, they say that legally they are not uh, uh, actual candidates and should not appear on the ballot because they did not uh, file appropriately and pay the uh, filing fee. Okay, and you talk, you talk to the Democrat chairman of uh, of Stone County, and he argued with you for about four days about this before he was convinced by somebody from his own party that he was in the wrong. Correct? Uh, somewhat. When it came to the filing process, I called him out that he was. Uh, he said that you had to. Uh, do X, Y, and Z in order to be on a ballot, and you, uh, and you're not. He can't do that, and he was making them pay a little extra on the side to join his committee, or he wouldn't put them on the ballot. And so that was the one that he. Uh, I called him out on, and eventually, after four days, his state party chairman uh, told him that yes, Darren is right, and you are wrong, and he later apologized to me. And uh, uh, we got that problem solved. But uh, someone within his own party did contact me, my source, and uh, told me word for word what all he did wrong uh, and confirmed my suspicions. And then to back up my informant, the county clerk, who's also a Democrat, said word for word that my informant gave me was 100% correct. All right. So Brenda, Joe, now you've got the, you got the long and short of it, it encapsulated kind of an interesting story. Would you not agree? I would. Now you, you had texted me uh, or uh, sent me some, inf- a little bit of information too late for me to really look at it, but you wanted my legal opinion. Do you want me to give you my legal opinion, which will be exactly worth what you are paying me for it t- right now? <laughs> It'll be worth nothing. Is that what you're telling me? Well, that's what I'm saying, but I, I have an opinion, of course. Okay, well, fire uh, away. Based on our experience. You know, I think that a court would bend over backward to uh, allow these people to continue to run and that the Democrat Party would probably sanction the process, you know, waive the rules, whatever. And here you are, you know, looking at the potential of throwing someone off the ballot. I would predict that you'll be, you know, wasting any good money you might throw at that. But then I I'm, I have been known to be wrong maybe once, but I, could, I don't recall it. <laughs> I, I, I've just got to say, way to go, Darren. And, yeah. and, and thankfully we have people like him and Doyle Webb on, on our team that, that watch this stuff very closely and, and uh, really try hard to fulfill all the obligations and rules of the game. Yeah, what, what's amazing to me is for them to know, one, well, he didn't know the uh, the chairman of the Democrats didn't understand, and Darren got a hold of that like a dog with a bone and wouldn't let go of it until the guy figured out that Darren was right. But then, secondly, that Darren is trying to bring to light this whole thing of the chairman over overrode his own committee to drop the filing fees from fifteen hundred to twenty dollars. 
that's a that's a significant reduction to say the least. Well, let me tell you what we've had in our county committee, and of course ours is Republican. But we've had our county chairman waive the filing fee for candidates without consulting other county committee members. Wow. So, you know, I mean, it, it happens. But now I will uh, – I'm, I'm with Joe. I really applaud what Darren's done, and I don't mean to pour water on it. But um, you're also then looking at the potential of being hometown by the judges that may hear the case. Um, you know, so it's a, a, a delicate suit, but go for it, and because the rule of law needs to be upheld no matter what you're doing. And like I said before, you know, maybe that's all a Democrat's worth in that county. <laughs> I, I would say that if you really wanted to get what they were worth, you wouldn't get anything for a filing fee, to be honest with you. But uh, so there you go, Darren. There, there's what they think about all of this. Well, I, I do appreciate that. And uh, uh, we, day by day, I'm looking more and more into it. Um, I, you know, I've heard some opinions just like that, and I've heard opinions, uh, for instance, our party chairman. Uh, he believes that this is a case, uh, but we're, we're uncertain exactly how it's going to pan out. But, you know, I'm on here to fan the flames, get the, cause that's my job as a county chairman is to, uh, inform voters on what's going on, and we have a big issue right now, as I've mentioned, and I'm trying to get all the voters informed that this is going on, and the Democrats are the ones that are doing it, and I hate, I really don't, I, I try to make as many friends as I possibly can, but, uh, you know, you can't make friends and do the right thing uh, and uh, at the same time, you know. Uh, so well, I I'm just trying to hold what was that that you said, Joe? I said high five. There you uh, go. You know, amen, brother. Making friends and doing the right thing is very difficult, we found. All right. So, Darren, yeah. Darren, thank you very much for coming back on. I mean, you spent an hour with me, but I, I wanted Joe and Brenda to hear about this. And uh, and thank you again, Dave. I appreciate that. And, uh, and to Joe and Brenda, if there's any way that y'all would like to help me come out and uh, talk to my committee. Come, come on by. Oh, thank you. We'd be glad to. All right. Appreciate that, Darren. Thank you. Fantastic. They'll let you go, Darren. Thanks so much for being part here of the Dave Ellswick show. We got to get a break in here in a moment. When we come back, Brenda just forwarded me the uh, proclamation for the special session. And here I thought they were going to talk about two things. I thought they were going to talk about pharmacies and I thought they were going to talk about you know, that money that you save in 529s? Well, there's seven other things that they brought up on the special session. We'll talk about, we'll try to run through all of them if we can get there. Uh, coming up next on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back. Uh, I got the, I, I just looked on my email and uh, Brenda, I got from you this uh, uh, piece from the governor saying that special session has been called. It will start next week. Uh, and now I have their press release on it a as well. Kind of interesting that I thought that the special session, Joe and Brenda, was going to be about the pharmaceutical uh, issue here in the state and this whole 529, uh, you know, putting money away. Uh, need to amend the Arkansas Code concerning how siblings are to be treated. Nope, that's not the right one. 
There's a need to amend the Arkansas Code concerning tax-deferred tuition savings programs established under uh, uh, the law as it existed on January 1st, 2018 that may be deducted from the taxpayer's adjusted gross income, blah, blah, blah. The aforementioned deductible contributions cannot exceed whatever the aforementioned deductions are to be made available to tuition being paid to both institutions of higher education as well as primary and secondary educational institutions. Now, we've talked about both of those things, but these other seven things that are on here, first I've had, I've heard about them. How about you all? Yeah, and I thought this extraordinary session was to handle emergencies. Well, yes. The, quite the, interesting. the best part is the number one is let's talk about per diems. <laughs> that was on the special too. session. That's the one I like. Yeah, they want to know about how much they're going to get uh, the, you know, the elected officials are going to get paid on their trip from and to uh, the capital and whatever. Uh, I'm kind well, of. I, I, that is page two. I, I, I do. So, I do see just from a from a glance over that that there seems to be several things that that could be very beneficial. Uh, but again, as we've learned, titles are not necessarily what the results turn out to be. Yes. But I hope that they are. Because I can see this cleaning up the off-road vehicle thing and the relentless and endless lawsuits on the animal waste, the Buffalo River issue. Yes. You know, you can just sue forever. Uh, You know, things like that I think they're trying to address, which I I think is probably right. What we hope doesn't happen is that someone gets ahead of the parade and says, hey, let me lead it this way with a conservative title and a bill that does something totally different. So this will be important that we watch this closely. I'm very proud of them that they have the 529 issue, you know, like we talked about. And, of course, the, the pharmacy benefits manager, I mean, managed health care, this may be our, our chance to uh, direct Arkansas one direction or another, and I hope that we don't, you know, take the wrong turn just to, uh, you know, kill one problem and create another. Yeah, I think what people need to really pay attention to on, on the uh, pharmacy issue, uh, same thing as with the Medicaid expansion, is it's, it's a significant portion of the Arkansas budget. And the question to be asked is, are we closer to or further from socialized medicine if we, if we go this direction? Well, when I think I... we're seeing that with yeah. Medicaid expansion, that is one giant step closer to socialized medicine. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Let's just read this one small part of what they're talking about. To alter Arkansas code concerning the licensure of pharmacy benefit managers providing services for health benefit plans. All right, everybody needs to understand a pharmacy benefit manager is a person who's in between drugs and their business, correct? Um. <laughs> hey, sorry, Dave, we, were, we, we had a sidebar. He's <laughs> sitting here, you know, we're, we're hating on our thoughts of what could happen with this. I mean, we've been told, hey, if, you're, if you are for helping these pharmacists, you're defending a special interest, and, and this is what Joe's repeating to me as you're talking, and I'm saying, yeah, the special interests that we're supporting here are called taxpayers. You know, these are small business people. Yeah, they're tra- who, it's called free trade. That's what you're protecting. Supposedly, you're supposed to be uh, protecting. Regulate the conduct of pharmacy benefit managers 
authorized the Arkansas Insurance Department to examine and audit uh, pharmacy benefit manager records, establish reporting requirements for pharmacy benefits managers, prohibit uh, deceptive and unconscionable trade practice, pursue it to the Deceptive Trade Practices Act. I mean, it goes on and on. This all deals with another layer of government. Yes. Well, I can tell you that I, I spoke over the weekend with a Republican that is a staunch supporter of the private option. And if it's... You mean a legislator? A legislator, yeah. That was a staunchly supporter of the private option and probably will support a title like this but an action that does nothing that changes the trajectory. And, and uh, as, as they like to use, it'll bend the uh, contribution curve towards the legislators further. Well, it's sad when you have uh, an industry, the pharmacists are crying out for government regulation. I mean, you know, this is where, because we've injected the government dollar, in, you know, through the Medicaid expansion piece, and, and Medicaid period that you've got our money going that direction and now they're crying out that hey you know make this fair because uh, the piece that's not controlled by the government now is um, you know the part they call like the private option or you know th- hey these are these are our closely held secrets we can't tell you how much profit we make you know it's a secret when they want it to be is yeah. what it amounts to oh, well, and the thing about it is is that you know, these are highly uh, lucrative contributors to campaigns, the the pharmacy, uh, the pharm- pharmaceutical companies, and the big healthcare like the they CBS did. and the Blue Cross, and you know they they certainly don't want that deal stopped. I mean, in the Medicaid expansion piece with Blue Cross, for example, there's language in the statute. Their information is proprietary. It can't be given to the government. They're not going to show you how much money they make. I mean, that is exactly what you'll see in this bill. And and that's what the heartbreak is, you know. You give us the six the six hundred dollars a month per enrollee, and you don't worry about what we do with the money. Yeah, the individual pharmacists don't contribute enough to campaigns <laughs> to to get a good law passed. So Arkansas has an opportunity to redeem itself in this arena, and we're very hopeful they will. All right. So the bottom line: this all gets underway at nine a.m. Tuesday, uh, not uh, that's tomorrow. Uh, and, uh, we've got the list of the call items. And from what I understood, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. They think they can go through all night item, nine items and do it in like three days. Well, now let me ask this because remember they weren't going to put anything on the call that they don't already have two thirds of the legislature signing their name on the dotted line that they are already signing onto the bill. Yeah. This, this ship's already sailed, babe. I mean, I haven't seen any of the bills. Have you? No. I, I well, I guess not, we'll me, see them passed in the morning. Let me correct <laughs> that. Let me correct that. I have seen, uh, we, we did see Rayford's bill. Yes. We have, we have seen that. That's about the 529. The rest of this, I haven't. I mean, I didn't even know we needed technical correction. The Arkansas Code annotated 571-101 for the purpose of aligning state law with federal law to avoid federal highway penalties by adding changes to the definitions of alcoholic beverages, motor vehicle, and open alcoholic beverage containers. I hadn't even heard well, anything about David this David Ferguson stuff. once said, be leery of any bill that proposes to only fix another one. 
And I, yeah, I agree with that. That's the problem with our government anymore. They, they try to fix things. And when they try to fix it, they always make it worse. Well, it'd be nice if, uh, Russellville Senate district seven sixteen would, uh, send a message to Little Rock tomorrow. Yeah. Like Bob Bailey. Yeah. I meant to talk about that with you all. Uh, you all have kept very close, uh, eyes on that and you got your finger on the pulse what 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 is your uh what's your uh, visual on that race telling you now well speaking of democrats i think that's probably the only exposure we have uh is that if if bob does not win it'll be because the democrats came out heavy and so speaking of the earlier part of the show with the filing fee issue right i think that will upcoming there'll be the conversations about reducing filing fees for republican candidates state house and also, there'll be more conversation about closed primaries because if Bob loses this tomorrow, uh, we'll need to be looking at you know realigning our Republican rules. I know that can even be done within the Republican Party itself, not just legislatively. Well, it's assuming that they have the will and the desire. Now that's always a question mark, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know the proof's in the pudding, as they say. We've got Republican majorities for four years now, and can anybody name me a significant Republican objective that has been achieved? Well, even though our uh, revenues have increased over six six hundred million a year, I mean total since our Republican governor, they would say we've reduced income taxes one hundred and fifty million a year after two thousand nineteen. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Well, and you have the whole uh, statement that somehow this uh, task force on taxes is supposedly going to help us out by reforming taxes. But remember, reforming taxes does not necessarily mean tax cuts. That's what I heard. (laughs) Well, I think that your show, Paul's show, our communication to the voters has helped that task force to see the light a little more clear about what they should be doing. Uh, I think that without the pressure that all groups are putting on them, uh, they probably would be ready to sign the tax increase bill tomorrow. All right. Well, I got to let you both go. I appreciate you. Conduitforaction.org if you want to read any of the materials. They've got great articles. You should be checking them out. Brenda, Joe, thank you. Get down there to Russellville and bring us uh, home a winner, okay? Thank you. Thank you so much, Dave. All right. Bye-bye now. Yeah, we like to see Bailey win that race for sure. Coming up, we got Hortons coming by here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, final hour of a Monday show here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 96.5 FM, The Answer, and on your Facebook, facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick Show. We do Facebook Live every day, Monday through Friday, and even some on the weekend. Although I heard you had a little problem with that, Zach, over the weekend. Is that right? Yeah, again, the switch over to Val show for okay. her profile. Did you get Did you get over switched over for Shane? No, we didn't try with his show. He is just such a wuss. He'll try soon. Yeah, we'll get him to try soon. I'll come in here with a gun and make him do it. Anyway, <laughs> good to have you back for final hour i'm such a nice guy i really am all right so today hortons is in with us i've been talking about hortons now 
Anya, how long have I been talking about Hortons? Has it been a decade yet? I was going to say at least 10 years. Yeah. Uh, we've been we've been talking these these folks are great folks uh, not only do they run a great family business uh they run a family business that has great empathy for their customer base uh they're a great family business started by the patriarch gary horton who worked with nasa about the articulating knee mm-hmm. or so you didn't have to walk along around like a peg leg mm-hmm. you know it actually had a prosthetic that would bend like a, a normal uh limb would do and then you got all the the family you got mike and chris and you get tanya they all got involved in it as well they followed in their father's footsteps did he try to kind of warn you off from it before you started no no we try to follow in his footsteps he has big shoes to fill he's he's a special kind of guy he is you know i love when i come over and visit with you guys I always block out a two-hour block because I know I'm going to be sitting there talking for a while because we just like to chew the fat. But uh, they are one of my sponsors. I want to make sure everybody understands that. But I'm having them come on because to do anything anymore uh, with a lot of different health agencies, you got to jump through a lot of hoops. Mm-hmm. You just got to do a whole – Healthcare is not like it used to be when I was a much younger man. I mean, it's just not, I just turned 65 years old and I can tell you it healthcare is different between day and night now really is. She's brought in, Tanya's brought in Zeta. Right. Who has come to join us. And she, now she works with you and I mean, Horton's complete, right? All of the different areas that you guys are located at now. Yeah, so I actually met Zeta probably about five or six years ago, um, maybe even longer. Um, and she was the senior outreach specialist with Medicare. And that's how I met her. Mm-hmm. And then last year, we brought her in to work with us as a consultant, kind of as a patient advocate, and to help work um, compliance with our charts on the authorization end. So... Um, she has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to Medicare and to insurance. Here's what's crazy. All right. If you're a patient, your goal is to get treatment. You right. want, you want to get treatment. Uh, the government's goal, I think most of the time is to forestall that treatment for as long as they can. So, you know, they, so they don't have to pay out the money. I just, I just feel that way. <laughs> I may be completely wrong, but the the bottom line is you really, it's just like social security. You need somebody that's been in the system. So you know how to talk to the system. You guys get Zeta, your, your side of the equation here. You've, you've got your own terminology and everything. When you talk to these people, don't you? Yes. One of the things that you'll find is that with Medicare, with any insurance, there is specific terminology as well as specific criteria for any item that you are wanting to purchase or be provided by your physician or any healthcare provider. So it isn't that they don't want to give it to you. It is that there are specific guidelines. And I'll give you an example. One of the items is shoes for the diabetic patient. Okay. That most people think, oh, well, why do I have to do this? Or why do I have to do that? Up to and including the Hortons who... When I started working with Miss Tanya, 
many years ago. And yes, it has been more than five. I'm afraid to say it's been closer to 10. Um, it, she would question, well, why do we have to put this documentation together? And why can't the DPM take care of this patient's feet? Okay. I'm going to say stop for just a moment because you just moved into the world of Greek. Okay, right. the DPM yes. what is, the, is DPM? the foot care doctor. That is the podiatrist. Okay. And you'll hear me say DPM, which is the podiatrist. You will hear me say MD or DO, which is a doctor of osteopathy, or the MD, which is the medical doctor. With the diabetic shoes, again, this goes back to our government. Many years ago, a law was passed, and it is a law. So it takes all the things that we go through in our government to pass a law to work the diabetic shoe policy, unlike receiving a knee brace or oxygen. Those are called LCDs or local coverage determinations that are based by the Center of Medicare Services, which is developed and organized through the Department of Health and Human Services and governed by the Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of the Office of the Inspector General. Now, I'm sitting here and looking at both of you, all right? Excuse me. And neither one of you has a large callus on your forehead. (laughs) So I'm figuring you're not beating your head against the wall a lot of times. I mean, how long did it take you, Zita, to learn this terminology? I mean, you've got to have a lexicon just to be able to talk this. No, you really do not. Most of the information that either a policyholder, whether it be with a private commercialized insurance or with Medicare, Medicaid, or any of the Advantage plans, all of their information is actually out there on the web, out there in our little cloud world. Um, If you want to go to Medicare, and look up what diabetic shoes are provided and how they are provided, you can go to www.cgsmedicare, click on to the Jurisdiction C DME Mac tab. Once you click on that, you would click on to the left-hand side in the blue column. You would look for local coverage and determinations. And this is why I'm saying we need you, Zeta. We need Tanya. We need you because all that you just said, I'm looking at Zach right now. He's shaking his head. <laughs> He's saying, I could not do that. I can't do that. Well, and again, you have patients have to take a certain amount of accountability. Well, I'm, I'm willing to take and, a certain amount. I just can't take all of it. And there again, one of the things that your physicians are provided education That is what, and I bless them and I thank them for that. They're very blessed, um, or I am very blessed to have been asked to work with them. Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics asked me to come in as a patient care advocate to help patients better understand what their policy coverages are from their insurance agencies. You have to realize that Medicare alone has four different divisions that they work with and develop. You have hospitals. You make my point. You I'm have physicians. She's making my point so as we go along. Each mm-hmm. 
each group or each division, your part A, which is your hospitals, hospice care, et cetera, that has policies and procedures. All of that guidance is provided by CMS, the Department of Health and Human Services, which gets their ruling from either senators, governors, et cetera, Mm -hmm. and the Department of the OIG. In that situation, we're going back to the diabetic shoes again, that was voted on. So there are specific laws. When that went into place, there are specific laws and specific rule sets that each person that receives a pair of diabetic shoes has to follow. The provider of those diabetic shoes, such as Horton Orthotic and Prosthetic, they have certain guidelines they have to follow. The physician has specific guidelines that they have to follow. Those guidelines in the case of diabetic shoes for the patient is a law. Whereas if it is a knee brace, that is called policy, which is completely different from a law. It's just what a group of people got together and deemed to be necessary as a whole or specific guidance on how something should be paid or not paid. All right. So let me go to Tanya just for a second. So Tanya, someone wants to come to Hortons and they need, um, let's say that they need some help because they've, they've had their breasts removed because of breast cancer. I mean, they can't just call you up and say, I need to make an appointment. They've got to what talk to their doctor Tell the doctor they want to come see you. They give, you know, it seems to me there's a lot of paperwork involved in all of this. Well, there is a lot of paperwork, and it's going to depend on their insurance. But most of the time, we go ahead and make an appointment and do an evaluation so that we can get the codes for the chart and then at that time see what paperwork is going to be needed to get from the doctor so that we can move forward. It doesn't mean that they're going to leave with the product that day, but it means that we can have the chart established so that we can see what's needed for insurance purposes. Okay. Now you're talking insurance purposes. You could be talking about people who have, you know, just a regular business from their business. They have an insurance policy or somebody went out and bought their own insurance. Or if you got Medicare or Medicaid, we're talking about government sponsored health care. Correct. Yes. Because depending on the insurance, it could need pre-auth, which would mean different, you know, forms. It could be Medicare, which would mean clinical. So it's just every insurance policy is different. Every item is different. Every patient and what they're getting is different. But we always like to start with an appointment so we know what we're working with. All right. So for a person who's out there that wants to get over with you, with you folks, all right. Mm -hmm. They can just call you and you'll get the ball kind of rolling. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Because if not, I haven't been giving them 100% what they should be doing. Yeah, no. We always like to start with an appointment because we can't even start until we have codes and we can't have codes until we've seen the patient. Okay. Just know there's books with codes in them. Mm -hmm. I've seen them before. There are. Incredible. Kind of looks like your cheater codes for your video games, Zach. All right. Did you memorize all of those? 
Of course, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you liar. All right, we're going to take a break here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It's uh, 19 minutes after 5. I just want you to get a feeling about, you know, Hortons is a, is a, you know, a free market business, except most of their business, you know, for older people and stuff is dealt with, with the government, which means free, free business is not so free any, anymore. Red tape. Yeah. A lot of red tape many times. We'll come back, talk about all of this. Zeta's with us as well. She's the person who will help you walk through this swamp that that's out there because if you i'm just telling you zita if you're a person like me what you just said in the last 20 minutes is like oh my <laughs> god all right Tip of the I, ice i'm gl- yeah and that's what really worries me all right we got more coming your way 96.5 fm the answer don't forget on facebook.com it's facebook.com slash dave ellswick show for facebook live all right, if you just joined us, you're in for some schooling today, all right? that This is a schooling hour because it's to help you kind of um, mitigate or navigate through the world of insurance, through the world of getting treatment. And uh, Zeta Upchurch is in the studio with us, and uh, Tanya Horton is here from Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics. So I, I, I want it. Look, you may never need their help, but you're going to need medical help sooner or later in your lifetime. And all the things we'll talk about today could play in other cases at other different times. Right. All right. So let, let's start off with physical documentation. All right. This is, you know, accountability for from the patient's side, first of all. When someone calls you and says, I want to come in, and I want to make an appointment with Hortons. When they come, what all should they be bringing with them? When you come and you see us or any medical provider, please always have your insurance card and your driver's license. It is so imperative that we get correct information, your correct name and your correct insurance. Don't write on your patient information that my name is Nancy, but I go by Susie. So I'm going to put Susie on my information <laughs> sheet. That does us no good because what's going to happen is we're going to bill your claim as Susie and it's going to deny. You've got to look at it in the terms of what's on my insurance card, what's on my driver's license. Um, and also don't get upset with your medical provider. If every time you go in, you're asked to update your information, even if you were just in the week before it's just something that we have to do. If we're going to bill your claim and bill it correctly, it's something that we've got to do. Um, I can't tell you how many patients come in and just scream and yell at us because they were there three months ago when we're asking them to update their information. Mm-hmm. So, again, if you want your claim billed to your insurance company, you've got to provide these documents and you've got to provide it correctly. And let's remind people, if they don't pay, you pay yes you will have to pay and if it's not billed correctly then you could also get the bill because we can't bill it to your insurance and it could be could be large if you're going into a hospital if you're getting a prosthetic from us there's so many circumstances you just need to work with your medical provider and make sure they get the correct information okay so two pieces of information you absolutely should have with you when you go in 
Well, actually three. Prescription. Okay. okay. Driver's license and insurance card. You should write down all your prescriptions, right? When you come in? Or your prescription that you're going to the, the prescription doctor for. that you have received from the physician, from the yes. physician. going okay. with you to yes, that but provider. That does bring up if you're going like to a doctor, a new doctor, always take the list of your medications. Yep. So you do also want that. There's a app, by the way, you can get for your phone and you take pictures of all your pill bottles and it uh, keeps them stored for you. And then when, when you go see the doctor, you can just dump it to them. Oh, that's good. I didn't know there, that one. That's good to there, know. There's no... There's no worries that way. You know, you mm-hmm. don't have to worry that you sweat too much and now everything kind of ran and you can't read or that your writing's worse than your doctor's or whatever. You know, you want to make sure. All right, we've got uh, about 60 seconds and then we're going to go and talk uh, to Fox News, find out what's going on. So you want your insurance card, you want your driver's license. And, but what if you don't have a driver's license? What's your secondary piece then? Photo ID. Feder, some kind of federal ID. All right. Mm-hmm. And it's going to have your picture on it, just mm-hmm. so you know. And uh, also you want to have, uh, you know, from the doctor, a, a, per, a prescription for what it is that you're there for. Yes. Okay. So keep those, keep those three ready and ready to go. Uh, Zita and uh, Tanya are going to be back with us. Uh, but we're going to take a break and catch up on at least in one minute what's big story that's going on in the world. And then we're going to come back and spend some more time uh, talking with our guests. Are you guys willing to take some phone calls? Somebody wants to call in? Okay. 823-0965. If you got questions about this, here's your opportunity. 823-0965. Talking about uh, Medicare, Medicaid, and insurance. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 96.5 FM, The Answer. Zita and I just became very good friends. <laughs> she lived in Newcastle, Indiana. Now, let me tell you what's unique about Newcastle, Indiana. It has the largest high school basketball gym in America. If I'm not mistaken, it's like 10,000 seater, isn't it? Yes. It's huge. 10,500 seats. I, I mean... When I tell you, Zach, you hear me talk about how much Indiana loves basketball. You don't understand what I mean about a love affair with basketball. It is a love affair. And then they screwed up the whole high school playoff system. <laughs> you know, I was at WIBC in Indianapolis when Johnny, when, uh, when Plump and, and, uh, oh, what was the guy? The other guy was off the Milan team too. The two Milan players that were on, one was on the, uh, Indiana uh, Athletic Commission and the other ran a restaurant down in Broad Ripple. And, you know, Plump was all wanting to keep it as one thing. I'm looking at, look at Tanya. You're not talking about Horton's Day. No, yeah. I'm just laughing because y'all found y'all it's, yeah, from the it's, same old it, town. Well, it's, it's history. I mean, it's just, this <laughs> is history. Used to be in Indiana when you played basketball, high school basketball, everybody played against everybody else when it became sectional time. And you went, you played for the state championship. It could be like Milan, a, a school of a couple hundred students taking on, oh, uh, um, South Bend or, or Muncie Northside. I think that's who they played. And they were several thousand students. And then they upset Muncie and they were the state championships. There's a little school, of 200 students. 
you saw the movie Hoosiers before, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I'll believe you. That's true. It's, it's, it, <laughs> but then the SJWs, we didn't call them social justice warriors then, but that's who got into this where everybody needs a an adequate shot at winning a trophy and all of that. And it wasn't, it became that instead of about winning at all. And, uh, so they destroyed it at one time. I remember when Damon Bailey played his last year in high school, he was in the state championship. Uh, they played it in, uh, what was called the Hoosier dome at the time. It was there before, uh, they had Lucas field house seated thousands of people. Uh, and, uh, they filled that sucker up, sold out, sold it out for it. Now they can't get 3000 people to go see a basketball game anymore. Hardly depends on who's playing. Okay. I'm just saying that the state championship series is just not the way it used to be No, because it is not. now each division, if you're a one, a school, it's just the one, a schools and nobody, I'm just telling you, nobody cares about it that way. When, when it's they became for, regionals and yeah. sectionals, it when, did. When it when the, it came down to just game. you're playing for the state championship, if you you've got to you got to win six games in a row, then it got it got fun. It was fun. It was a good time. Anyway, enough about Indiana. Let's go back and talk a little bit with uh, with Zeta here because the second thing we want to talk about here is patient accountability. We told you about the things that you should bring with you: driver's license, social not social security. Pardon me driver's license, your insurance card, and uh, whatever paperwork your doctor has given you, basically. <clears throat> right. Bring that with you. You're accountable to bring that with you. Now, what other things are should patients understand, Zita? You know, you got to take accountability for your own life sometimes. Each patient has to take accountability, as you said, for their own life. They have to look at who are they seeing as their physician? Many times I will talk with a patient and I'll ask them about their PCP and this is their primary care physician. I do know that one. And (laughs) they'll say, well, I don't have a primary care physician. And then you continue to talk with them and you say, okay, you have diabetes. Mm -hmm. Who does your diabetes testing? Who looks after you for your diabetes and prescribes your medication for your diabetes? And you find out they really do have a primary care physician, but they don't see that primary care physician until they're forced to. They may have a heart condition of some kind and come to find out that they don't see a cardiologist. Mm Mm-hmm. They've been to the hospital and they'll use the hospitalist, which is fine. I'm not saying they are not good physicians, but you have to understand a hospitalist is there in a situation where that patient is not stable. Mm -hmm. That patient is in a non um, sedentary state. We'll just, we'll put it that way. Okay. Um, In an emergency state. If a patient is in the hospital, obviously they are ill, sometimes gravely so. Been there. Once they get out of the hospital or are released, they receive a set of orders with their discharge papers. Most patients will not even pay attention to the discharge orders. So when I say that a patient has to have accountability, 
and again, talking and looking at the Horton situation and what I do for them for compliance and accountability of their records, we turn to that patient to find out who their primary care physician is, who ordered the item that you're getting. I have called several of the Horton patients throughout the last year, and I will say, well, your physician tells us that you've not seen him in over a year. Well, how did you get this order? Um, I, I called my other doctor. Well, what other doctor is this? <laughs> so you have to be accountable to understand that in order to obtain payment from whomever your insurance is, whether it's a commercial side or whether it is a governmental side insurance, that you have certain rules you have to follow. It's just like everything else. You know, our dear president, Mr. Trump, has a set of rules that he has to follow sitting up there in the Oval Office. Called the Constitution. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And we have rules and regulations that we have to follow as well. And each of our patients have rules and regulations that they have to follow. So accountability is understanding that, number one, just because you bring in a prescription doesn't mean that you're going to obtain that item because your insurance may not qualify you. There are things that you have to be accountable for, and that's explaining and helping to obtain the documentation that's needed for your insurance. That's why whenever you're given a piece of paper to the physician that you're meeting, that you put it in a folder so that you always have it. You know, I I probably drive people crazy because I don't know what most of that stuff is about. I do understand when you've been discharged. I I read the here's what you're supposed to be doing, Dave. I had quintuple bypass surgery two years ago, and there was about three pages of stuff that they told me that I should do, and I did it until I went and saw my cardiologist, and then he cut that down by uh, about uh, two and a half pages and said, just zero in on this, Dave, and you'll be fine. But the bottom line is you are responsible that that's, it's your body. You know, you know, you need to take care of it. So you want to be able to, to follow all of that. And if you don't, you can get you in deep, deep chemistry. Well, and the law for audit purposes with Hortons or any provider, the law states that medic medical providers have to obtain and maintain your records for seven years. If they have to maintain records for seven years, it's just like accounting to the IRS yep. for money you have coming in. Yep. You should obtain and maintain those records for seven years. Yeah, I would, I would agree because I've had them come back at me three, four years later mm-hmm. and say, well, you need to pay this. And I already know I paid it so I could show them the records and right. then it, they'd leave me alone. Typically, it was an occasion that didn't happen. And we had a big fight. But uh, how about patient advocacy? I mean, that's that's when you came in and sat down in front of me. I figured that that was kind of you're an advocate for Hortons, and uh, you're kind of an advocate for the patients to come. I'm through a patient order. advocate yeah. as well. One of the things that um, Hortons, uh, Mr. Horton and Tanya saw 
a need for was someone that understood the medical system, understood the insurance system and all the rules and regulations. And no, not even I know all of them, obviously. But I know where to go to get the information. I know how to dig dig through to dig it out. And Mr. Horton and Ms. Tanya saw the need for someone that could work with the physicians and work with the patient. Because one of the things that we find with the patients most often, they believe that if they bring that prescription in, they bring that insurance card in and their driver's license, then they should be able to walk out the door with whatever it is that the doctor has ordered for them. Not the case. There are specific things that you have to go through, as we talked about with documentation and clear-cut documentation for specific items. And one of the things that they saw a need for was someone that could go to the physicians and say, this is an issue for this particular patient. Can we discuss this and can we help you understand what documentation is needed so that you can put that into the patient's record in a face-to-face visit with that patient, and then we will have that clear documentation. Okay, so let me ask this question. Since you're you're advocating for the patient to the doctor or whatever, with HEPA laws, correct? does that put up a wall for you in, in some of these instances? There, again, there are specific guidelines that I have to follow. Um, you notice I'm not mentioning a single patient's no, name. No, I know you can't say there that. There are privacy laws that we have to follow. And with HIPAA guidelines, um, we have what we call a business associates agreement, which I have to sign. We also, I have to speak with those patients because I work for Hortons, so they are allowed to talk back and forth with those patients and with the doctors. The doctors are very specific about what they tell me or what they request. And they have very specific guidelines that I have to follow when I request information from them. All right. Let's get another break in, final break of this hour. And uh, Zita Upchurch is with us. She, or Zita, yeah, Zita Upchurch, that's correct. She's here with us and she's telling you what she does working with Hortons to try to make this as smooth as possible and make things work real well. When we come back, Tanya, I want to ask you some questions. I mean, I know for a fact over the last few years, one of the big moves in medicine was to try to get everything on computer. And so that, you know, people, they don't have like, you guys don't have a basement full of records that you're holding on to, supposedly. They're on (laughs) computers and disks and things of that nature. We'll talk about all of that when we come back. I hope this this show gives you kind of a, we're just skimming the surface as far as I'm concerned about this. We might have to do another show on this. Is that all right? Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll we'll try to do that. Uh, I've covered, the, I think, the three real important things that we're supposed to talk about. But as you talk, Steve, it just brings up more questions in my mind as, as I'm listening. Uh, if you, I got time, if you if you have a question, 823-0965, you want to ask about this process? Because I know for many of us, it's confusing, 823-0965. All right, we've got eight minutes left, so let's get uh, the questions in that, that we've got uh, here at the end, and we'll uh, 
we'll plan on having you back again, Zita. Talk further because, like I said, we've scratched the surface today. There's a lot more to talk about, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. So let me ask Tanya this. She, we, she's talking about keeping seven years of records of your patients. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of records. Correct. I, I know things have been computerized and things of that nature. Uh, explain to the listeners, if you would, you probably have people maybe that work at, at Hortons and all they do is deal with insurance because that's an ongoing changing animal all the time. Uh, you have to keystroke everything directly in or it can send something off into outer space and the same thing the doctor dealing with you i mean all of that's got to mesh correctly correct yes and that's why i always say it all starts with intake the person that's inputting the patient's chart which is that front desk person the person you're handing your insurance card to and your driver's license and if we don't have a copy of that insurance card with a picture when it gets to zeta and her team's hands then it can all go wrong from there. It always has to start correctly from when that patient walks in the door. So you got to have a correct foundation is correct. What you're saying, to yes. work on. Yes. Okay. So how difficult is it to work with doctors? I mean, is, I mean, that, that's just your people and their people kind of talking to each other, isn't it? Yes. So are some doctors better than other doctors? <laughs> Well, I mean, not a fair question. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not asking you to name names. <laughs> well, of course, you have some doctors that you never even get to talk to. Um, you're always dealing with their staff. You have some doctors that you can always get a hold of. So it's you know to say some are better than others is not a fair statement because some I've never even talked to. Um, you have some that are very workable. Um, that you can have a conversation with them and they're going to do whatever you ask them to do as far as the clinical that you need help with um and then moving forward they always go with what you say um and then you have some that of course they're the doctor you're the omp lab and they don't really want your input um so it's kind of give or take most of them are workable and approachable because you're both working for the same patient and you just want to get that patient taken care of. So there's not that many that are hard to work with. Well, and I believe too, Tanya, don't you, that once they understand that you're not there just to heckle them, that you are there on the patient's behalf and that you are trying to follow specific guidelines that have been handed down to you from them once for them. And you're following their guidelines for what you're providing, but you're following the guidelines that have been handed down to you by the insurance companies. And once they realize that you're asking for those specific items, they're much better. Yeah. And that's where Zeta came in because she's got, you know, the background to have that conversation more so than myself. Is that kind of interesting now that you've had Zeta working with you for some time now, when she first started, was she saying, can't do it this way. You need to do it this way. Who, me or her? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you know what I'm saying. You I know. did say that a few times. And and there are still days that I'll call and say, what the heck were you thinking? Uh-huh. Um, but most of the time, I will have to say, um, and this is not because that I work for them. 
Um, I am a private contractor. But it is a case where Horton Orthotic and Prosthetic is one of the best groups, and I've worked all over jurisdictions. I know that. You're just just confirming what I tell my listeners all the time. And and prior to leaving um, Medicare, it is a case where I worked all over the South. Um, from Texas, clear across the south, up the east coast. Wow. Um, and functioned throughout the other three jurisdictions, providing education to providers, etc. So I will say, overall, Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics is very good with their insight on what the physician's capabilities are, um, how the physician's offices function, and very good overall with their patients. Everybody's got hiccups. Everybody has a a point that they can be better than what they are. Um, And that's what Horton's hired me in to do, was to fine-tune an already well-oiled and running machine. Very good. Make it even better. Exactly. You've been doing that. They do a great job. They really do. Tanya, thanks for bringing Zeta in. Very interesting. We need to have her back have her back because people see Mike or Chris or you, they don't see behind the scenes mm-hmm. and all the stuff that has to go on to make everything that's outside that you're seeing work smoothly. And they definitely don't see any Zeta. It's and, and she's for a team that make Mike and Chris look good. All right. <laughs> okay, guys, throw the gauntlet down. All right. We'll have you back on in the near future. Talk Thank more you. about this. Seriously. It's it's important stuff that People understand. All right, tomorrow uh, we will have the power panel in. David Sterling's going to come in. He's running for uh, the Supreme Court here in Arkansas. We'll talk to him. And the Bible guys in the final hour. If you got a Bible question, remember Bible guys at SalemLR.com. See you too tomorrow. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com